T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. Going to be a busy Tuesday morning. There's a lot of things that we need to dive into throughout the course of the show tonight. We'll get into the Sixers a little later on. Talking about it with Jody during the crossover. Just a very enjoyable game to watch on Monday night. Sixers starting this big seven-game stretch here uh, against some of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, Go down to Dallas and do exactly what you would expect and hope that they would do take care of business, uh, blow out the Mavericks, no Porzingis. So that certainly, uh, Dallas, not at full strength, but I don't think it really would have mattered. Joel Embiid is, is just on a completely different level right now. And you see what happens to teams who have no way to guard him. Uh, they don't stand a chance and we'll get to that a little later on in the show, talk a little more about the Sixers, positives and negatives with them. Uh, that's coming up later on in the show. Around the NBA, looks like a maybe a, a season-altering injury to Jamal Murray on Monday night. That would be disappointing. Denver, uh, you know, I think they're a team that, if they're healthy, really does have a chance to go to the finals. But, Mike, you you had said you... you Oh, you would made a proclamation during this game before Murray got hurt that they were done anyway. Yeah, just I don't like the way they've played this weekend. Okay, so one weekend and you're just you're just out on them. Um, I don't know. Sometimes you just know when you know, like you, when you see it that this this team just doesn't have it. They don't have, like they're missing a guard. Like this is before Murray. You're an eye test guy. You're a gut yeah, there guy. You go. There you go. Yeah. It's a real gut uh, a gut uh call by you there. I don't know if it's a gut call or, or if it's a it's an eye call. An eye test call. Yeah. A call. There you go. So uh, we'll get to the Sixers uh, a little later on. Plenty of things that, that we need to get into throughout the course of the show. Uh, but we will start with this bombshell story from The Athletic, uh, courtesy of Bo Wolf, Shield Kapadia, and Zach Berman. A very interesting piece with a lot of stuff in it with regards to the Eagles. And we'll examine every aspect of this story throughout the course of the night. 
But to give you a brief overview, for those of you who were not able to read, it was a pretty lengthy piece. I, I was sitting around Monday night watching the Sixers game. Once the Sixers game got out of hand, uh, I, I finally got around to reading it. And it basically details the inner workings of the Eagles organization and the dynamics that are at play and have been at play within the walls of the NovaCare complex over the last few years. From the scrutiny of Doug Peterson, which this is one of the more interesting parts of the piece that we'll talk about a little later on, uh, even following wins and good wins, where Doug would have these these um, meetings that, that seem more like interrogations every Tuesday with Howie Rosen, but more with Jeffrey Lurie in regards to his decision-making during games, uh, whether he was making all the correct moves, what he could do better, and this kind of intense scrutiny that he seemed to be under from the front office, not just after wins, but, but really good wins. I mean, one of which that's detailed in here, the Green Bay Week 4 game in 2019 was included, which I thought was a tremendous victory. I mean, when you look at the Eagles over the last two seasons, and granted 2020 didn't include a whole lot of them, but that win in Green Bay in 2019, it's probably the best win that the Eagles have had over the last two years. Probably the best win that they have had since they won that playoff game in Chicago. In 2018. And, you know, the idea of the owner and the general manager not trusting Doug to pick his staff to the divide between the analytics staff in the Novacare complex and the football operations department and those kind of divides that took place and the differences of opinions and the lack of cohesion within the organization that have been present over the last few years, to Howie Roseman's relationships, the responsibility he bears in all of this. There are a lot of things that we need to touch on here in this story, and we will get to all of it throughout the course of the show tonight. But I'll start with what I took from it more than anything else. And what I found to be far and away the most troubling thing from this piece, And it's not that much of a surprise to me because it's something I kind of already felt like I knew. You know, when you look and you read between the lines of the things going on with this team and you see how things have transpired, if you're really looking at it closely, it's certainly been clear to me what the biggest issue with the Eagles has been over the last several years. And it's not what many people think. I mean, you listen to this station, you will hear constant, constant griping and bickering about Howie Roseman. And Howie Roseman is certainly, certainly, and I want to make this crystal clear, not absolved of wrongdoing or mistakes in all of this. But if you've read this piece, I don't know how you come away with it with any other conclusion 
that the biggest issue with the Philadelphia Eagles right now is the ever-increasing involvement that Jeffrey Lurie has behind closed doors. And the fact that Jeffrey Lurie has become more and more and more involved over the course of his tenure as owner and really over the course of the last two to three years. Because I think it's pretty pretty obvious that Jeffrey Lurie has seemingly been emboldened by winning a Super Bowl. That Jeffrey Lurie would meet with Doug Peterson weekly, how he is well. But it certainly seemed, based on this article, that Lurie was the dominant force behind these meetings. That he was obsessed with this new analytical approach to the game of football. With passing instead of running to the point that it essentially was the only way that Jeffrey Lurie wanted to win. Now, if you've listened to me, you know where I stand on that aspect of of football today in today's NFL. And in today's NFL, in many ways, I agree with the premise that you got to be able to throw the football to win games. You look at the league over the last five to ten years, you're not seeing a lot of teams have high levels of success that can't throw the ball and throw the ball effectively. You need to be able to pass. You need to be able to pass effectively. That being said, there are all different ways that you can win. And in the end, you just got to do what you need to do on that particular day to win the ball game. Whether that is throwing the ball 40 times, whether it's running the ball 40 times, whether it's going for it on fourth down, punting on fourth down, and playing conservative, you need to have a feel within the course of the game, and you need to do what is best for your football team to win that game. But Jeffrey Lurie, apparently, it wasn't good enough for him. That he so obviously was obsessed with this new approach that if Doug Peterson did not throw the ball as much as he wanted him to throw the ball, he'd hear about it. And he'd get chastised for it. And he would be criticized for every little decision even when it came out to be the right one. To his increasing involvement in the draft process, which we know about from not just this piece, but many reports this offseason. And we'll go back to another one a little later on because you remember Jeff McClain had a piece a few months ago detailing Jeffrey Lurie's increased involvement and the dynamics that went on behind the scenes with this organization. And Jeffrey Lurie's impact in the coaching staff, that he was indeed dictating to Doug what we already knew, the coaches that he could have on staff the coaches that he was allowed to retain year after year, the coaches that he needed to get, out, get, get rid of based on the reports and the edicts that were being passed down from upstairs. But the main thing is that in so many areas, Jeffrey Lurie has gotten way too involved in areas that he shouldn't be involved in at all. And... While Howie Roseman certainly deserves a level of blame and criticism, that goes without saying. Howie is also a very convenient frontman. 
And I wonder if this is finally going to be the report that people come to understand that. And the report that people finally come to acknowledge the greater issue here. And the greater issue and the issue that is plaguing the Philadelphia Eagles is not Howie Roseman. It is Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie has been and will continue to be the problem until he acknowledges and recognizes the mistakes that he has made. Because he has been emboldened. And while Howie Rosen will take the bullets, and I don't feel bad for Howie Rosen in that regard. I mean, it is honestly his job to take the bullets for his boss. That is what he is paid to do and paid very well to do. Jeffrey Lurie is the one at the head of all this. Jeffrey Lurie is the one passing down all of these things throughout this organization. And I know that there is this kind of... um, this prevailing notion, this prevailing thought that Howie is some puppet master and that Jeffrey Lurie can't think for himself and that Jeffrey Lurie just does what he's told, it's clear from this piece that is not the case. That the problems that this organization have dealt with all stem from Jeffrey Lurie. They all stem from Jeffrey Lurie wanting to have control. They all stem from Jeffrey Lurie wanting to be in the football operations department, wanting say over the game plan, wanting say over the coaching staff, wanting say over free agency, wanting say over the draft. And we know from the history of this league, that is not conducive to success. When the owner is involved to that level, it is not going to create a successful culture within an organization. And Jeffrey Lurie's involvement has gotten way out of hand. And I want to know, first off to start, and if you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. 215-592-9494. We have open lines to, to begin. Uh, so if you'd like to get in, uh, now would be a good time. But what were your main takeaways from this piece? If you had a chance to read it, I'd love to know your thoughts on it and whether I'm in the minority here. Because I know I've been in the minority with uh, the opinions of Howie Roseman so far this offseason. And I will continue to say, you know, this in no way absolves Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman deserves certainly blame in this as well. And there are aspects within that front office and the job that Howie Roseman has been tasked to do, which is have everybody on the same page, he has failed at. And there is no excuse for that. But this is all a byproduct of an owner that wants to be involved. An owner that wants to be a football guy. An owner that wants to make the decisions, that wants to essentially be a coach from the owner's box, be a draft expert, be the GM, and who does that sound like to you? It sounds like Jerry Jones. And it might not seem that way because Jeffrey Lurie has a much different personality than Jerry Jones. He is much more reserved. He's not out holding press conferences all the time. He's not doing 
post-game availabilities. He, he speaks once a year, and that's pretty much pretty much it. Unless you have an offseason like this where you're making significant changes to the coaching staff where it demands Jeffrey Lurie come out and speak. But my main takeaway from this piece is that Jeffrey Lurie has become way too involved with this organization. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop right now. And I want to know also, has this changed your mind that Lurie and not Howie Roseman is the predominant one to blame here? Because I know the way this has gone this offseason. I understand people's frustration, and, and I understand why people get frustrated with Howie, but I think it's pretty obvious that in many ways, Howie Roseman is acting at the behest of his boss. And while sure he could push back more, sure he could resist more to the orders he's being given, and he could, you know, um, try to to shape Jeffrey Lurie's opinions in a different way where this wasn't the case. In the end, he has a boss just like all of us have bosses. And if your boss is giving you commands and your boss is giving you these kind of um the these kind of edicts. Directives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What that you you need to do these certain things, these kind of directives. What are you to do in those kind of situations? And I want to know, do you have has it changed your mind at all in regards to Howie Roseman and his level of blame within this organization? And do you agree that Jeffrey Lurie is the main issue? Because when I read this piece, looked at it a ton of different ways, um, it's what I came away with more than anything, is that this is a Jeffrey Lurie problem. And there's obviously no fire in the owner. I hope he understands that because if he doesn't, this organization really is in deep trouble. But your main takeaways from this piece and your thoughts as Jeffrey Lurie is now clearly enemy number one within the Eagles organization. He is the one who is the cause for these issues. And it needs to stop if they are going to turn this thing around. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in at the beginning of the show here. And uh, I'd love to hear from you on this. When we get back, we will hear from some sound uh, in regards to Jeffrey Lurie and his involvement with this organization and how it has changed over the years. Because it's clear things have changed and things have changed dramatically in regards to the owner. And when I read this piece, it's clear to me he is the problem more, much more than Howie Roseman is, than Doug Peterson was, even more than Carson Wentz was. Jeffrey Lurie is the one responsible more than anybody for the issues the Philadelphia Eagles are having. And uh, it's got to stop or else they are going to be doomed for a very, very long time. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Open lines start the show. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham. I'm just seeing this note at the top of the screen here. Was that? Did you type that up, Mike, in, in protest to my... Uh, my proclamation that Green Bay win was a uh, was ba- you know it's yeah, awful. You might be right. I mean, I, I, you might be right about that. But uh, you, well, well, Mike, I should tell the audience of what you typed up. <laughs> uh, Mike typed up that the I, I said the best win the Eagles have had over the last two years was the Week Four victory over the Packers. Mike said it was clearly the Week Sixteen game against Dallas in 2019. Um, you might be right about that. Schwartz uh, had the defense all. Really they they were bu- the defense was buzzing that day. Yeah. Um, Sanders had a good day on, a good day on the ground. Yeah, good went, day on the ground. I'm sure Jeff. Executed. I wonder what Jeffrey Lurie thought about that win. You know, it was a yeah, big right. win to set you up for the playoffs. But they only scored 17 points. A lot of it on the ground. Well, really, they scored 24 because Sanders tanked the last play. He, he kneeled. True. True. I wonder if Jeffrey Lurie was actually upset about that. Like, yeah. no, that's going to bring our metrics well, down. Well, if, We're going to be ranked lower because he didn't go into the end zone. In the Tuesday meeting, Peterson's like reasoning with them. It's like, well, it's really, Jeff, it's really 24 points because, you know, that happened. Yeah. Like, it, that part of it is so odd to me. And, you know, and I, it's hard to gauge where Howie stands on all this. And we'll get to some sound in a minute. From Chil Capati, who was on the station on Monday, Jeff McLean uh, from a few months back, but uh, it's it's like, what does Jeffrey Lurie want? Like in, in the end, you want to win, right? Like, are you more interested in winning, or are you more interested in in padding your stats? Like, I don't I don't understand what that Thursday night win against the Packers. That was objectively like a great win. You went on the road. I thought it was the toughest game on their schedule. How could he? I'd be I'd be pissed too if I was Doug. He well, comes back and he's going to get berated for going on the road to Lambeau and getting a great win. Get out of here with it, that. He made the front office look good for their great new acquisition in Jordan Howard. He he ran wild that game. Right. And then, no, the craziest one was uh, how he couldn't grasp the, like why they had to run so much in Buffalo. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 apparently, Doug was getting ripped. For running in Buffalo, it was 23-degree <laughs> winds. The rain that day was insane. You couldn't even, I mean, how many missed field goals were there in that game? Didn't Buffalo miss a few kicks? Well, there, there were people slipping all over the place. Yeah, it was. that was not a game to, you know, spread it out and everyone air it out. And, and this is the problem. And this is so interesting because all of, I, all of the things that get projected onto Howie are actually what's really going on with Jeffrey Lurie. Like, how he thinks he's a football guy. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. All this stuff. That's actually Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie's the guy who's not a football guy and is so desperate to be a football guy that he is he is going out of his expertise area and, and dictating to people in the organization he shouldn't be dictating to. And I want to know if you've read this piece what you felt ab- about it. Because I no way does it absolve Howie Roseman. And again, I, I mean, you have to preface it because everybody, you know, wants to just crush Howie for everything. And I get it. And I'm not defending him. He has certainly a level of culpability in this as well. He's number two to blame. But number one to blame is Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie is the one who is the source of all of these issues. Roseman's number three to blame. Who would you put at number two? Carson Wentz. Agreed. You know what? I'll, yeah, I'll agree with that because they even said in, in the piece that you know, with that, the, the the consensus was even amongst people who weren't necessarily fans of mm-hmm. Howie and the Eagles organization that a lot of this does get overshadowed if 
they get adequate quarterback play last year. Yeah, just take out like even like a third of all his like like just minus really insane bad plays. And the the whole season looks different. Yeah, but I, I will say this, Mike, and I, I just gather this from our discussions off the air. I am even more critical of Howie than you. You don't seem to. I, I'm gathering that you don't think Howie deserves much blame in this at all. I just kind of feel like Howie's status has remained unchanged, uh, basically since he's been put in. I don't, you know, he he's going to do his thing and try and manage all kind of angles of the building and. You know, sometimes it it could be painted great. Sometimes it's not gonna be. It's not gonna look good. Coming off four eleven in one season, it's not gonna look good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if we had that type of uh, type of dive in with you know how he was, you know, was in 2017 with signing guys and how that worked. I'm sure it, you know it looked a lot. You know, it'd be a great picture back then. Yeah, and things have things have gone off the rails, and they're both responsible for it. But in the end, I don't know how you can have all the information that we have at this point, both from this piece, the McLean piece, all the stuff, all the reporting that's happened over the course of the season, not see that Jeffrey Lurie's the one who has forged this culture and this um, this kind of environment that, that is not conducive to success. So what specifically are you, uh, would you say you're disappointed in Howie in? I'm disappointed in Howie for not, for allowing like these front office fractures to happen. Like that's essentially his job. And we'll get to that more in yeah, a minute. But uh, he is supposed to keep all of those different factions working towards the same goal. I don't think he's done a good job of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, they. I think they explicitly said he's great at the one-on-ones, but he can't tie it together, it seems like. Exactly. And we'll get to more of that sound in a minute. But first, uh, Jim's on the line. Jim wants to talk a little uh, about the Phils and Sixers. What's up, Jim? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. I'm, I'm saying... Simply, it's an awesome time to be a Philly fan. Yeah, a, a Philadelphia sports fan or a Phillies baseball fan? A, a, a Philadelphia sports fan. Okay. Why, why, why is that, Jim? What, what, what has got you most uh, most excited right now? Uh, the Sixers and the Phillies. You, so you're optimistic on the Phillies. You like what you've seen so far this year, huh? Yeah, yeah. They, well, well, there you go, Jim. I mean, uh, what, so, so, what, what, what particularly has got you all, uh, all, fl- all uh, fired up about the Phils? It's it's purely a vibe. I mean, if you watch the guys oh, playing together, they're 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 in on on what they're doing. The pitchers are doing great. Our 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 top our top four pitchers are surviving or doing well, and you know. Uh, I just love watching it again. I love watching baseball again, and not just because it's there again. It's because I'm in Philly and I'm watching these guys do what they do, and they're doing it better than they ever have. I mean, I don't. I I, I guess it's nine games, Jim. So I'm not sure we can say they're I, doing it better than they ever have. Um, but are you I'm glad you're. Uh, no, I'm not kidding you. What, what, like, like, uh, it, who did they, they play? They played the, play? they played the Braves and the Mets. Yeah, they played. Six, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. How are we doing? They're six and three. It's it's been a nice right, start. Okay, so it's nine games into a one hundred sixty-two game season, Jim. Right. What do you it's want me to do? Division. Throw a parade for him? It's an easy division. It's an easy division. You're right. I'm wrong. It's a tough division. I agree with you. Is that what you're? Are you being sarcastic? Uh, I'm being facetious. Yeah. Facetious. Okay. There you go. 
That's probably the proper word. I'm sorry I used the incorrect word there. Well, so and, and you're feeling good about the Sixers too, huh? Um, I'm relaxed about the Sixers. I'm so thankful we have a great coach this year. They do. I Much better than the last coming, one. I'm, well, I'm, and I'm seeing guys come, coming in uh, that, that, are, that are doing better. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do great. I mean, I, I'm having so much fun as a Philly fan watching two of the four teams, which... Well, that's but, only half, Jim. I'm, I mean, the I'm, other I'm, half aren't, aren't doing very well. Yeah, I'm 50 years old. I count my blessings when 50% are doing well. well. That's good, Jim. I'm glad you're – so you're – by definition, you are a glass-half-full type of guy, and that's good to hear. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. and, and you, guys, you guys were talking about Howie yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Listen, all that drama is just drama. Well, I mean, it affects the way the the team's being run, though. So it, it, it by definition, it, is not just drama. It matters. Well, the, yeah. I was kind of, so what I'm trying to get around to is I firmly believe, I firmly believe that we are not going to get anywhere until Howie's out. Yeah, I got you, Jim, and and that's the way a lot of people feel, and I appreciate the call. But it, I feel like Jim didn't really listen to anything that we said in the first couple segments of the show, and I understand why people want Howie out. I understand why people think thought how think Howie has not done a good job. But and, and I don't think Jim read the piece. That's kind of what I gathered is that Jim did not read this piece. But Jeffrey Lurie is the one who is in charge of all of this. And I, I feel like it's just become so commonplace and easy. And I, I, I thought we're better than this in this town to, like, look deeper into the issues. And, I, you know, I, I agree with if you think Howie should go, then I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I think you have enough evidence to present a, a case in that regard. I personally don't. I personally think Howie should be here. I think he does present value. But the fact, like, this kind of idea that he is this sole villain, it it takes away from what the real issue is. And the real issue is above Howie Roseman. The real issue is Jeffrey Lurie. And I don't know how that's not obvious at this point. When you look at his involvement, and I did want to get to some, some sound here, because... Jeffrey Lurie is somebody who, whose role and his influence in this organization has changed. Jeffrey Lurie, I thought for a long time, up until, honestly, a few months ago, I thought for a long time was a good owner. And I think was a good owner. But something has changed. And here was Jeffrey Lurie uh, a few months ago talking about his role and how, according to him, it hasn't changed in the entirety of his ownership. I would say my involvement's been the same for about 25 years. Um, I, I think that what I tend to do uh, is to ask a lot of questions and to to understand where we're coming from strategically and um, performance-wise. And it's stood us in a good way because it's allowed me to uh, transition when we've needed to, uh, make coaching decisions that have worked out um, at least often in the short run or long run, um, and allowed us to be able to have a, 
a finger on the pulse of what could take place. Um, when we have a bad season, I look at myself as much as I look at anybody else. Uh, but I think we have a great infrastructure. I think we've got good people all throughout the building. Um, and it's the same, uh, a lot of the same people that built the championship team. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think our track record of in the last 20 years, how many NFC East titles, playoff appearances and appearances in the NFC championship game. Those are some of the metrics I look at. And, um, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll compare our record with, uh, almost anybody. So I, I think the involvement's good. You never want to be too involved. You never want to micromanage. And I'm very, very sensitive to that. You got to trust the people around you and first bring in the right people around you and then trust them. Now we know that all of that is not true. Like we know Jeffrey Lurie's involvement has shifted over the last 25 years that I think probably during 2000, 2010, the Andy Reid era when Joe Banner was in place. I don't think Joe Jeffrey Lurie was very hands-on. And I do think he trusted a lot of the people around him to do their jobs. That has clearly changed. And a lot of that is, is, you know, debunked immediately from saying we never want to micromanage, we want to trust people around you. Well, they obviously did not trust Doug Peterson and were micromanaging Doug Peterson. When you're when you're dissecting everything the guy does on a Tuesday, two days after the game, that is the definition of micromanaging and dissecting. And the question then becomes, what exactly is Howie Roseman's role? Like, if Jeffrey Lurie's at the top of the chain here, what exactly is Howie Roseman doing and Shil Kapati, who was part of working on this piece for the athletic um, joined John Marks and Ike Reese on Monday afternoon and gave his thoughts on what exactly how Howie Roseman's role is what the structure is I think that it's uh, Jeffrey Lurie at the top who is certainly uh, an involved owner and then I think under him is Howie Roseman who operates as sort of a CEO type general manager. You know, there are general managers out there who their job is just to scout and personnel and pick players, and that's everything. And I think with Howie, we probably focus on that too much. That That's not really his job. His job is collaboration, coaching, analytics, scouting, the owner. His job is to kind of tie all those things together and then ultimate, ultimately make the final decision. So, so that is certainly where the power lies. And that is where it is absolutely fair to criticize Howie. When um, Shield talks about his role and what his job is. It is getting getting everybody on the same page, and that is obviously something that hasn't happened. That when you look at these divides and you see these divides with scouting and analytics and football operations and all of these different and the coaching staff, all of these different factions, all kind of moving in a different way. That's on Howie in terms of not getting everybody on the same page, but I also think he's been put in a a, a no-win situation almost. That it's very difficult to do that job when you're acting with, as Mike said earlier, the directives, certain directives of your owner. And I'll go back to, to Jeff McClain. When he wrote that piece a few months ago, a piece that was not flattering at all to Howie Rosen, but Jeff McLean joined Glenn and Ray, and he was speaking to them about this issue. And I thought I had some really interesting things to say about Howie and Jeffrey Lurie's relationship. Here's Jeff McLean on the relationship of those two guys. 
I think Jeffrey's trust in Howie, the the relationship they forged after 21 years of being together, being through the highs of winning a Super Bowl and surviving the lows of the end of the Andy Reid era, the end of the Chip Kelly era, as we all know, was kind of uh, disastrous almost. And the relationship between uh, Howie and Chip being a certain uh, big, certainly a big reason why that uh, ended, and, and having gone through obviously this last year, which was another low point for the franchise. Um, and, but there's more to it than just that. I mean, how he's had success, certainly, and if you look at his record, it's pretty good. Um, but the last three years have not been good in terms of his off-season moves. So you have to question what's going on with this dynamic between Jeff and, and Howie and what I discovered uh, clearly. And, I, you know, we've touched on this before. This is you know something that I've reported in various respects before in terms of, like, Jeffrey's involvement in the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside pick and Jeff's involvement in the Jalen Hurts pick. A lot of it has to do with Jeff and his, you know, increasing involvement in football decisions and having somebody who will, uh, in some ways, allow him to be that. And so there's a little bit of a uh, self-enabling, I think, going on with Howie and Jeff, and I think that's a big reason why Howie is still with the team. But obviously, I want to focus on. I, mean, I also want to point out too that you know this is a guy who won a Super Bowl just three year three years ago and had a successful two year run in building that team. And that's where it is an issue, and you know that Howie could push back more and maybe should push back more but at what point can you tell your owner and the guy who is your boss effectively no like if Jeffrey Lurie wants to do certain things and Howie Rosen I'm, I mean he's described in this piece uh as a survivor of sorts somebody who does want to continue along in his job and and I mean honestly I think it's pretty difficult to fault him for that there aren't many of these jobs out there and you're going to do what you need to do to survive and how he views that as pleasing his boss and his boss is Jeffrey Lurie and it's one of those situations where I think Howie is in a difficult position where what is he supposed to do if Jeffrey Lurie is insistent and it certainly seems like Jeffrey Lurie is insistent and that is a key word here because ultimately, Jeffrey Lurie's the guy who has final say over everything. We could say how he's got final say over draft picks, you know, whatever. Jeffrey Lurie's the one signing the checks. Jeffrey Lurie is the one who who has final say over everything. There are reports that Jeff, Jeffrey Lurie wanted J.J. Arthago-Whiteside. Jeffrey Lurie wanted Jalen Rager. If those, are the, if those are the directives that the GM is being given, what is he supposed to do in those situations? Here's more from Jeff McLean on how Howie feels about Jeffrey Lurie's ever-increasing involvement. A lot of the people I spoke to were sticking up for Howie. His allies were like, you got to look at the situation that's, that's been created internally here. And he's had to you know, be basically the front man for some of Jeff's decisions. Or, and, and it's just not fair to him. And I wondered in myself, and I just maybe get the sense that you know, maybe how he's fed up with it. <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, how many times can you take the bullets for your boss's decisions? And, yeah, you know, look, he's been here for 21 years. He's never worked for another franchise. That's very extremely rare in the NFL for a GM. Usually they have to kind of bounce around to get to the place where they are. So I don't know if he's kind of backed himself in the corner in terms of if he were to leave, would he be able to get another opportunity as a GM elsewhere? Um, but you have to wonder how much does it – play on him that, you know, and look, I guess 
I'm sure there's certainly a great relationship between the two. Certainly, Jeffrey has allowed Howie to become who he is, and that's something he's probably grateful for. But at one, at some point, you just got to kind of say to yourself, I mean, how much more can I can I take of this? And we already heard the report from ESPN that Jeffrey is apparently directing, you know, behind the scenes what to do with Jalen Hurts and, and whether they should bring in some competition for this guy. Is that something as a GM you want your owner to do? And, you know, obviously the answer is no. Like, I can't imagine how he is, is happy with this type of involvement because I don't think this involvement's always been there. I think this involvement is more of a recent development. And, you know, uh, at what point do we shift our focus and understand what the real problem is? And it's not to say how he isn't contributing to it. He's the GM. He's contributing to it. And I don't feel bad that Howie Rosen's taking criticism. It's his job, essentially. His job is to take the bullets for this organization. That is what he is paid to do and paid very handsomely to do. And he's got a job that a ton of other people would, would love to have. But as we day after day just skewer Howie Roseman on this station, at what point do we understand He is only following the directives of the guy who is his boss. And that Jeffrey Lurie is the person who has been emboldened by his recent success and is the one, ultimately, that is causing these issues within the Philadelphia Eagles. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Leon in Dallas. What's up, Leon? Yo, what's up, Tom? How's it going? What's up, man? Good. Um, so, yeah, real quick, um, you know, Howie has been nothing but a detriment for this team over the last few years. Um, I also, I mean, I often like to refer to him as the Jerry Krause of the Philadelphia Eagles, except he didn't win six championships. Look, my whole thing with Howie is I hear you. You know, a lot of this stuff that's been out with Doug and Jeffrey, it's a lot. And like, you know, Jeff said, you know, how he's been with the Eagles since 2001. But if you look at these last few years, I mean, there's absolutely nothing this man has done to put us in a position to win other in my other than, in my opinion, was the J.J. Taylor Hurts pick. I mean, from the bad contracts, you know, to the Alshon Jeffrey, it's crazy Alshon Jeffrey was, you know, guaranteed that final year of his deal, and we paid him $15 million to catch, like, five balls last year. And I don't even need to go over the draft picks, uh, Tom, because you already know, like, his draft in history is horrible. I mean, I'm just looking at the 2017 draft here, you know, and only one of those guys from that draft is on the team today. So I just don't see what he has done as of late to justify him still having his job, especially because Doug got fired. You know, I was one of them guys, so I really didn't want to see Doug go. But I was pretty much like, look, if Doug gets fired, then Howie has to go too. But, you know, Howie got to keep his job. So I don't know if you could defend some of his bad draft picks and his cap, uh, sorry, and his salary cap mismanagement. See, look, that's another thing. I'm going to go on here because we, we used to love to give Howie credit. Oh, cap manager, you know, he knows how to make money disappear. But look at us now. You know, we were, you know, $53 million over the cap. They cut that down. They had to, you know, cut contracts and everything. But – you know, he's put us in that position, you know, Tom. So I'm not seeing any reason why how we should be here. We appreciate the championship, but this man has been a detriment. And you're just going to have to convince me why he should have his job. Well, well but Leon, this, this is how the argument that I would make is that 
Howie Roseman is doing pretty much all of these things at the direction of his owner. Like, you talk about the veteran players coming back. Why do you think Jason Peters is brought back year after year? Jason Peters has admitted many times, has said many times, Jeffrey Lurie's one of his best friends. Who do you think is more instrumental in constantly bringing Jason Peters back, Jeffrey Lurie or Howie Roseman? Well, of course, that's one instance. Of course, yeah. Well, listen, that's actually a rare but, occurrence. We've but, Leon, we talk about the draft record. I mean, there are reports that the J.J. Arthago right side pick, that was Jeffrey Lurie. The Jalen Rager pick was because Jeffrey Lurie became obsessed with speed, and the J- Jeffrey Lurie had, you know, dictated that he wanted Jalen Rager. So, you know, we Whoa. can blame Howie, and we can keep saying it's all his fault, but at what point do we hold Jeffrey Lurie responsible? Well, you're right. You know, well, first of all, I don't know if those, you know, um, if those are accurate, if, you know, Jeffrey did really want Jalen Rager over Jefferson, because I don't know, because clearly that was the wrong pick. But, I mean, I hear you, you know, but all I'm saying is, like, a lot of this stuff is new, you know, with as far as, you know, Jeffrey, you know, as far as, you know, becoming a meddling, you know, type of guy. But all I'm saying is, you know, I think Howie has played his time here in Philadelphia We'll give him another year only because, you know, I guess this is his final year. But I don't know, Tom. I'm just tired of missed draft picks because this is the reason why we have no depth for now. This is the reason why we've overpaid for free agents for years is because these guys cannot draft anybody. So regardless if it is Jeffrey or Howie, normally the GM is going to go first because we can't do nothing about the owner. Yeah. You no, know what I'm saying? Uh, so that's really all I was saying. But, yeah, yeah. And, and, and. And, of course, I'm a Doug guy, so I'm always stand for Doug. So, like I said, if Doug got fired, then I would show him with him just yeah. because they both pretty much did it. But anyway, Tom, you know, I love talking to you these late nights. Yeah, appreciate it, Leon. you off in there, man. You have a good Thanks, night. Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it, Leon. Yeah, and I love talking about it. And it's interesting. And I get that, you know, I think part of the reason we don't criticize the owners because you know you can't fire the owner. Like, you know the owner's not going anywhere. But I want to zero in on what the actual problem is. And it's not to say Howie is not part of the problem in enabling Jeffrey Lurie. I mean, of course he is. But, you know, the the point is, like, as we scream about, you got to fire Howie. Howie's got to go. I don't think Howie leaving changes anything. Because if Howie goes, what is Jeffrey Lurie going to do? If Jeffrey Lurie is hell-bent in being involved in football operations, he's just going to go get somebody else who's going to let him be involved in football operations. Like, I hope Jeffrey Lurie sees the error of his ways. That's really the only way that the Eagles get out of this. And that's why it really doesn't matter whether Howie Roseman's here or not. It doesn't matter whether Doug's here or not. What matters is that Jeffrey Lurie understands the damage he has done to his own organization. And the issues that he has caused within his own organization. And that he is the one responsible for a lot of what's gone down. And I'd say, uh, you know, way more responsible than Howie Roseman. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. That's how you join the show. Open lines if you want to get in. But I want to talk about this. It's it's It was an interesting piece. And there's a lot to get to from it. We will dive into all the aspects of it throughout the course of the show. But I want your opinion. Do you believe, um, has this changed your opinion at all, that Howie Roseman is not predominantly to blame within the Eagles organization. I think it's pretty clear Jeffrey Lurie is the source of many of the issues, many of the issues, if not all the issues, that the Eagles um, have been facing uh, because of his increased involvement. 215-592-9494. When we get back, social media gripe. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Quick segment here, uh, social media gripe time. And by the way, Philly's uh, washed out on Monday night. Uh, and, you know, not a, not a horrible thing, as I, I said to you, Mike. We got a lot of Eagles stuff going tonight with this, this piece from The Athletic. We had a Sixers game. Now we get a double tomorrow. We get a nice uh, seven-inning double dip tomorrow. Are you excited for, for a little doubleheader? The Tomorrow afternoon thing ruins it for me because it, it just makes me annoyed. But um, I don't know. I, I'd be I'm interested to see what happens Thursday. I'm hearing that uh, there's a really good chance of uh, a washout, as you call it, uh, Thursday, <laughs> which would be great because the Grom scheduled Thursday. Now, and I actually saw Glenn Hurricane Schwartz tweeted about that earlier in the day. Uh, why why don't they just move it up and do do doubles on Tuesday and when, and Wednesday? Why can't you just do back-to-back doubleheaders? They don't want to blow out the bullpen, you think? Um, well, if I'm a fan and I have a ticket for Thursday to see DeGrom and then it ends up being like a beautiful day and the forecast is wrong, I'm really pissed. Yeah. It's like uh, the, like uh, I, he was one of our seeds in the tournament, the weatherman in Curb yeah. who kept predict, predicting rain um, for every day just so he'd get out and have the golf course to himself. Yeah. Uh, that, that, was a, that was a good one. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I like a little se- seven inning doubleheader on Tuesday. So I'll, you know, I it would have been nice if it was nine. I, I actually, it's weird. I I, I like I, I I like the seven inning doubleheader, but I, I also like it. You know, I like a nine inning standard doubleheader. A little confused here. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't I, I don't know what my take is. I didn't realize I didn't really have a take on the doubleheaders until now. I kind of like both. I, I think if I had to be pinned down, though, I'd rather have two nine-inning games. Yeah, I love attending nine-inning doubleheaders. They're, you know, I don't know. Like, I thought this, I think the sec- runner on second thing is good uh, to have permanently. I know you don't like that, but... Um, it's not real baseball. I feel like the seven-inning thing, that, like, I was okay with that last year. But I, you know what? I, that is my take. I would like it to go back to, to nine-inning doubleheaders. Did you see at Yankee Stadium what they're chanting? Play real baseball. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm sure you – were you part of the part of the group there? No, no. I'm sure I, you li- would I have liked not, it. I was not at Yankee Stadium uh, last week. Okay. Um, but a doubleheader on Tuesday with the Phils and Mets. For my social media gripe of the day, um, we've been talking about, obviously, MLB season is big for the uh, – for the um, on pace tweets, and uh, that that's why I brought up the the washout uh, on Monday night because I did see a tweet the the Mets are on pace to only play seventy seven games now because of all the washouts they've they've sustained. So uh, we need to well, get that that on pace tweet out. There. Well, it's not just the washouts; they had the uh, the Nationals COVID outbreak. Right. Yeah. So I guess just all their postponements uh, were taken into account, and also my other social media gripe. Um, was I saw a lot of this on Monday, and it's just so hypocritical. And I feel like the theme of the gripe the last couple of days has been coming after Phillies fans. But uh, Phillies fans who were ripping Braves fans for being upset about the call. Like, I saw a lot of that, that, you know, uh, this happens sometimes, calls get screwed up. If this happened to the Phillies, Phillies fans would be going nuts about it. You know, and I saw some people, well, if if uh, if we didn't have review, this wouldn't even be an issue. But that's the whole point. You have review to get the call right. And they're still getting the call wrong. And I don't have a problem with Braves fans being upset about that call on Sunday. It was a terrible call. 
if I was a Braves fan, I'd be pissed off too. Um, so I, I think that was a, a, a major, um, major instance of hypocrisy. Uh, the Phillies fans who were um, telling the Braves fans to get over it and stop crying. It was a terrible call. And if I was a, a, a fan of the Atlanta Braves or if that happened to the Phillies, I would be equally as upset. So uh, that's the gripe today. I'll try to do better tomorrow because I, I don't think that was a great gripe. I, I, I will judge myself harshly and say uh, I, I didn't enjoy my own gripe. So I will try to, uh, I'll try to, I'll try to get better tomorrow. I'm going to be a watchdog on myself here, Mike. For the record, I did not bow out because I, I because I thought it was bad. I was just, I was taking a call. Yeah, you're doing your job. I appreciate that. Um, and you know, I, I'll hold you accountable and say you did a a, a good job, and I did a, a bad job uh, with my gripe. I'll try to have a better one uh, tomorrow. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Continue going through uh, this this Eagles. Story from the Athletic. Uh, if you didn't read it, go uh, uh, go read it if you can, because a lot of interesting stuff in there. And uh, we'll continue going through all aspects of it. But my main takeaway: Jeffrey Lurie, way too involved right now. And until Jeffrey Lurie realizes that his involvement is a problem, it doesn't matter as the GM. We can scream about Howie as much as we want. I don't think it really matters at all. If Jeffrey Lurie is going to insist on having his hands in the draft, having his hands in coaching decisions, all this other stuff. It's not really going to matter who is beneath him. He's just going to have somebody who can dictate to. And when Howie Rosen is allowed to do his job the way he wants to do it, he's proven that he can do it effectively. The Eagles need to get back to that model. 215-592-9494. Mike, Dave, see you guys there. We'll get both you guys when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. And just during the break, just seeing replays of this Jamal Murray injury, just hoping he's all right. I mean, that would be that would really be a shame. You hate when there are those big time injuries that substantially impact uh, contending teams. You hope it's a situation like Joel Embiid. Kind of looks similar. I don't know. This does. Would you see this, Mike? I don't. I don't think this looks good for Murray. I think he might have. I think he might have has might have like an ACL tear or something here. Yeah. No. I think it's bad. Uh, non-contact. Uh, Coach Malone said that he thinks, uh, or he, not he thinks, he urged everyone to keep Jamal in your thoughts and prayers. Okay, so it's they, never good when they go that that direction. How about you going with a Coach Malone there? <laughs> not not a Mike Malone, but you refer to him as Coach. You know, maybe I uh, I was blanking on what his first name was. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is Mike, though, right? Yeah, it is. I think it is. Yeah. Thank you. So hopefully Jamal Murray's all right. Uh, talking about the Eagles tonight. I guess when we get to, I'm just finding this now. When we get to like Sixers talk. You got to hear Rick Carlisle break down. He lays out what his game plan was, and then one by one talks about how Embiid getting all these fouls just shredded it apart. Yeah, and we'll talk about the Sixers later on. I mean, Embiid is he is just on a level right now, and I I, I didn't get a chance to to cut it up before the show, but heard him on with SVP, and you know they ask him about the game. He's like, "It's just what I've been doing all season. Like no like." Nobody can guard him. And you see what happens to teams that can't guard him. And when you look at a potential series with Brooklyn, and I know they have a lot of firepower, and if those guys get back healthy, uh, they're going to score a lot of points. But they don't have anybody who can guard Joel Embiid. And you see what happens to teams who have nobody who can guard Joel Embiid. They, they They just get slaughtered inside. And the Sixers have enough defense where you'd think they could at least slow that group down. Um, and I don't know. Like, I actually, I think the Sixers in a matchup with Brooklyn, Brooklyn isn't the team I'm most scared of in the East. Like, I think Milwaukee and Miami present more difficult matchup issues for the Sixers right now than than Brooklyn does. There's something about the Brooklyn thing. It just feels off to me. And they are a bad defensive team. No team has ever won the title uh, with a defensive rating like Brooklyn has. It's it's unprecedented. It will be unprecedented. Maybe maybe it'll happen. But, hey, if you want to try to score 130 points against the Sixers every night, good defensive team, that's what Brooklyn's going to have to do to beat the Sixers because they have nobody stopping B from going for 50 every night. I agree. I To me, the team, the, the, the team that I expect is going to come out of these is the Bucs until I see otherwise. I still like to see – I mean – if I had to pick a team right now, I probably would pick the Sixers. I I, I really would, and that's not a homerish pick. Um, I really think they're the most complete team, but um, we'll see. In a big game Wednesday night, I'm very excited to see how the Sixers match up with Brooklyn on Wednesday night. Doesn't look like they'll have Harden. We'll see if Kyrie decides to play or not. Stephen A. ran it about Kyrie. We'll get to that a little later on as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good. it's going to be interesting to see that that matchup take place. 215-592-9494. Get the mic in South Philly in just one second here, but I did want to throw out a little side topic because um, uh, a movie that I didn't even know was being made was announced on Monday. Uh, it's going to follow Sean Payton in the year he was suspended following Bounty Gate when what, he was a sixth grade football coach for his son's team or something like that. First of all, who's clamoring for a movie about Sean Payton? I don't, I'd rather see a movie about Sean Payton where he you know, chokes away playoff victories every year. That's what I'd rather see. 
We already saw it though. But I'd rather see it on the big screen, you know, on the big screen. Uh, on the yeah, on this with silver silver screen's TV. The big screen is is movies, I think. I thought silver screen. I think silver screen's TV. That's why, you know, because gold is is like the top of the top even the TV's No, no it's silver screen's movie. I don't think so. Okay. Are you sure? We'll, we'll look it up and, and we'll check it out. But I did, and that wasn't good enough. Oh, 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 you did? Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Um. Uh, anyway, I think TV's bigger than movies these days. But um, I, I like, I, I don't care about seeing Sean Payton. I don't particularly like Sean Payton. Um. But did you see who's going to be starring as Sean Payton in this movie, Mike? Odd casting choice here. Well, you know, if you need the coach of the New Orleans Saints, you go to the King of Queens. <laughs> yeah, Kevin James. Is going to be playing Sean Payton. Is this a comedy? Like, what What kind of movie is this? Is, is, does Kevin James act in serious roles? I, I haven't well, I, seen him in a serious role. My understanding is that Sandler's involved, and that basically explains James being involved. Okay, well, is Sandler so, in so the I movie? they're friends or something? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all okay. part of them and Rob Schneider and Chris okay. Rock. They're all in the same uh, comedy uh, family. David Spade, they do all those grown-ups movies where... They're awful movies, I assume. I've never seen them, but they, uh, you know, they probably gross a lot of money. So good for them in that regard. But yeah, Kevin James is Sean Payton. It made me think: what were some horrible casting choices? Like horrible casting choices in TV or movie history. Um, uh, just one that came to mind for me was: I mean, just maybe all the Batman choices aside from Christian Bale, like George Clooney as Batman, that was terrible. Ben Affleck is Batman. I watched like five minutes of that Batman Superman movie, and it was just so horrendous. I, I turned it off. Um, but he's basically a Robin with the gene. There you go. What? What? what do you have a, a bad casting choice for me, Mike? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with Jonah Hill as Paul DePodesta. DePodesta, I think. DePodesta. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then um, it was so bad. At least in, you know, what was the correct one? DePodesta. 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 Yeah. Uh, it was so wrong in his opinion that he did not authorize Jonah Hill to use his name. So he was, <laughs> he's Peter Brand. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so if you have a horrible like casting choice, um, I'd like to get your, your take on that uh, as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's happening, Mike? How's it going, Tom? Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's some... <laughs> Things are uh, things are amiss in the Eagles front office. Uh, you know, I it, it kind of touched on it a little bit when Jeff Jeff McClain had this story, but also this just kind of brings it back to light. And as much as I rag on Howie, my opinions haven't changed on that. It is true that it, you know Jeffrey until things change with Jeffrey Lurie, it's not going to matter. Now, obviously, Jeffrey Lurie, you can't root for Jeffrey Lurie to get fired because he owns the team. Right. All you can root for him is to snap out of whatever funk he's in. But I've said before a million different times, and I, and I truly believe this, that ego is more responsible for sports failure than any other quality, more responsible than idiocy, more responsible than just anything else you want to put out there. Um, you know, these people who you know, run sports franchises and work in front offices, these guys are not stupid people. They didn't get into those positions by being dumb. You know, a lot of these mistakes are th- because of ego. I mean, how many times in sports – do you see somebody not getting along with a player, somebody not make, making a necessary change, whether it be you know, cutting a player, trading a player, firing a front office guy, firing a coach, like anything that falls under that umbrella, 
because their ego won't allow them to admit that they made a mistake or won't allow them to admit that they should patch things up with a player for the betterment of the franchise and aren't willing to do that. And Jeffrey Lurie is just the latest in the long line of guys whose egos have gotten way out of control. Now, I'm not going to go overboard and say the Super Bowl was the worst thing that happened to the Eagles. I think that's poor, that, that would be a poor way of phrasing it. Sure. I think a better way to phrase it is that it has perpetuated some lingering things and, ha- and has allowed them to get out, out of control, and now we've seen it's gotten to the point where it's going to hurt the franchise long term. Yeah, Mike, and I think that's or a good the potential too. Yeah, I think that's a good sure. point, and, and I think you know the way you put it is 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 smart because uh, you know obviously we'd all tr- take none of us would trade that Super Bowl for anything, and you're never going to say that that was a bad thing for the franchise in totality. Right. But I agree. I think a lot of this in regards to Lurie and his increased involvement and him just thinking that he knows more than he knows stems from that Super Bowl victory in 2017 and the Eagles winning that championship, winning it the way they did as well. When you look at it and he's got this obsession with offense and the way they outscored you know, the best quarterback in football on his best night, I think it's something that Jeffrey Lurie has always been chasing since, and he's kind of like obsessed with 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 what the Eagles did in 2017, and he can't acknowledge the fact that that that's not what is in place anymore, and that you can't just keep chasing that. You need to change and evolve. Yeah, and he better be careful because you know word gets around in league circles. You know, regardless of what happens with Howie, I mean, his job seems pretty safe at the moment, but, you know, he's going to drive people away. Like, if he's overriding scouts, they're going to be like, well, what the hell did you hire me for? Right. Like, you hired me to fly around the country, to analyze tape, to watch these guys, to give you scouting reports, to tell you who is the, who's good for the team, who would fit in our schemes. And if you're just going to go, nah. You know, I watched some film, I studied the analytics, I think this guy would be better. Then if I was a scout, I'd be like, well, then fire me and let me get a job somewhere who values my opinions. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, none of the disrespect. I mean, he cuts everybody's checks at the end of the day, so obviously you have to respect him in that regard. But it's like, you know, who am I to take a backseat to a dude who's never played a game of football in his life, who's, who doesn't have an expertise in this regard, like, and he's just picking players now? Like, who does he think he is? It's ridiculous. It's so insane. Like, and honestly, I think there's nothing more like right now. My fandom, Tom, it's if I could liken it to anything, it would be Jesse Pinkman in the final season of Breaking Bad. Like, I'm just a beaten, defeated <laughs> fan. Like, you're you're just like in that pit, uh, and you're just yeah. like ready to die. Yeah, that, that's what my <laughs> fandom is right now. If oh. I could like, but like, no, but seriously. Like, there's nothing more demoralizing. Like, there's a lot of things in the sports that could be demoralizing. But to me, I'd rather have, like, if I had to pick one, I'd rather have, like, a, or if, I think the most demoralizing thing is having a crappy you know, upper breast, crappy uh, front office. Like, that's the most demoralizing thing, because even if you have a crappy team, if you believe in your front office, like, you can have hope. Like, we've seen it in this town. The, the reason Sixers fans were aboard the process was because they believed in the guy who was running basketball operations in Sam Hinkie. The team was horrible. Sure. But fans were optimistic because they believed that he was going to make the right moves and, the, and the, the long-term health of the team was in good hands. But when you don't believe in your front office and you believe that, you know, there's meddling and there's egos involved, it's kind of 
cuts away the hope right at the knees. Like, if you can't believe in the guys that are running the organization, then what can you believe in? No, you you can't. And, and that's where I think a lot of people are struggling. And, Mike, the scary thing about it is, like you said, when you know the problem is the person in the front office, you know, it might take another year, but you know eventually if things keep going down a certain road, that person's going to get fired, they're going to get replaced, and hopefully the next person will come in and do a better job, and that at least gives you some level of optimism. The problem with this Eagles situation is the more it becomes obvious that the problem is the owner, like, there's no replacing that guy. And the only thing that can make this situation better is Jeffrey Lurie identifying himself as the problem, and I don't know if he is self-aware enough at this point to do that. Yeah, and it it sure doesn't seem like that really horrible season was a humbling experience. Maybe if they had back-to-back bad seasons, which obviously the draft doesn't happen yet, which I don't even think I'm going to watch it at this point. But um, if they have back-to-back bad seasons, maybe that'll kind of be a humbling experience for him, and it'll have him, you know, look in the mirror. I mean, he has had instances before where he, you know, I mean, he did fire Chip Kelly. Uh, after giving him power, that did take a little bit of humbling. I mean, you know, so he has shown in the past willingness to correct some wrongs, so you got to hope that's the case. But, you know, I, I was thinking about something, too. Um, I'm actually going to change course on a take I had a couple weeks ago. Okay. I, I actually believe now that all the illegal issues with Deshaun Watson is actually increases the chances that he could become an eagle. And here, here's my logic on that. You know, now obviously this is assuming that he doesn't wind up in prison where, you know, if this starts to get to the criminal realm, you know, with criminal charges, then obviously that changes things. Sure. But assuming, you know, whatever, he gets suspended, he doesn't get suspended, assuming his career is not over and he, you know, he, and he's available for trade sometime in the, first, you know, in, in the near future. Um, Jeffrey Lurie has already shown that he will take a chance on a quarterback, a very talented quarterback with, with legal issues in Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... One of the biggest reasons I said before that Deshaun Watson has no chance of coming here was the no-trade clause. I said, well, well, why would a guy, a quarterback that great, waive his no-trade clause to come to a team like the Eagles that's a mess? Well, because of the legal issues, he's in no position to turn, you know, hold that no-trade clause over anybody's head. No. Like, he would be, if anybody's willing to take a chance on Deshaun Watson after this, he's going to go to that team and say, thank you for giving me a chance. So if this is the guy that the Eagles are truly biding their time waiting for, I actually think, ironically, these legal issues might increase the chances, and also the compensation they acquire him will probably be less. Now, whether or not you're willing to trade for a guy who has sexual assault allegations is, is another issue entirely, but I'm just saying, it, I think it could increase the chances that he could become an eagle sometime down the road. Yeah, Mike, and I think there, there's, there's definitely a chance of that, and I think now you look at where the Eagles are, you know, they have the the resources to get him that they didn't have a few months ago. When you look at the picks, you look at the salary cap space, which obviously you need that because he's already signed the contract. And um, again, I'm not sure how it all plays out, but it's certainly a, a possibility. Do you have somebody who was miscast, uh, Mike? If you don't, that's okay. Yeah, I didn't have enough time to think okay. about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, maybe, you know, whatever, next time I call in. If, Sounds if, uh, good. Yeah, if I remember something. Yeah, all right, take it down. Sounds good, Mike. Take it easy, man. Yeah, I mean, the Deshaun Watson thing is is so complicated, and it, it's one of those situations where you do need to let it play out. Like, we need to get more information on this before anything progresses to the point of trade conversation. Like, I don't think trade conversations with Deshaun Watson and any team – 
we're talking about months away. You know, you got to see how this legal process all plays out. And I mean, it's it's going to be a situation, though, where if he ends up playing in the league again, which I'd imagine he would. But uh, again, you know, you got to wait and see what ends up happening here, whether this evolves into a, a criminal type process. But the reports are that the Eagles are staying, you know, at least abreast of the situation and staying aware of the situation. Now, we'll see how it ends up playing out, but, you know, the Eagles have been an organization with a history of uh, giving guys opportunities. Now, this obviously uh, differs from the Michael Vick situation um, significantly, uh, but, um, I, I mean, I think there is absolutely a possibility that the Eagles will um, make some sort of an offer if Deshaun Watson gets these cases settled. Now, again, you got to wait and see how the situation plays out. Um, and if it does turn into a criminal type thing, I don't think the Eagles would touch it. And I don't think many teams would touch it. And it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to discuss right now because of all the uncertainty and because we don't have all the facts. Um, but certainly I think, you know, you look at any team with, uh, an opening at the quarterback position. I think they're all kind of monitoring it closely right now to see how it all plays out. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Dave and Cherry Hill. What's up, Dave? Hey, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Dave. All right. Uh, concerning uh, Laurie and his authority, I think the uh, the exact point where uh, he's become the dominant person in football operations is when he fired Chip Kelly. Uh, before that, Andy Reid was running the football operations, and then Chip Kelly was running the operations. And uh, now it's evolved from that point to this point to running to winning the Super Bowl, etc. And uh, at this point, he's uh, fully he's going to live and die with a Sirianni and Hertz is is the combination that's going to decide the 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 uh, near future. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly in the immediate future, uh, the team's only going to be as good as Hertz and Sirianni are, Dave, but I don't think they're in any way committed to Hertz long-term. I think this is more than anything for Hertz, kind of a one-year tryout, see what you have, and if you don't believe in him long-term, they'll, they'll dress quarterback next year. Well, that, that could be very well, but I don't think that they're interested in uh, watching that much, but that's just an opinion. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll see. I don't think I don't think they are actively involved right now, but I think uh, that could change if if this situation, um, you know, uh, gets resolved. Yeah, well, well, partly it's my own opinion, and that I think that he's a, he would be bad news. But yeah, uh, and, I, and I, I, I mean, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't disagree with that, Dave. But uh, the thing is, the trend is going to be two losing seasons in a row, as uh, as Mike kind of stated. That this could be the 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 uh, harbinger of changes of uh, from uh, Laurie, and uh, he hasn't really uh, had a lot of defeats, kind of losses. But this would be it when uh, when Sirianni and Hertz goes down, if they go down in flames. Um, so I think we'll have to wait a year or two to find out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're going to have to. And this is more of a long term thing with Sirianni, Dave. I don't think they're expect they're not going to base anything as far as Sirianni's concerned off the results this year. Now, 
I mean, I think with a good draft, they could be better than expected this year. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they're looking at Sirianni much more as a long-term solution than, than anybody they're expecting success with in the short term. Well, it could be, but this is totally, uh, totally Laurie's choices, his decisions. He picked them, and uh, I think in two or three years, if it, he could deteriorate. If he doesn't show signs of being good, then it's a failure for Laurie, and maybe change would happen. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Dave, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, this is obviously Jeffrey Lurie. And Jeffrey Lurie is the one making these decisions. Jeffrey Lurie is the one who is running this show. And this article only confirms that. And when we get back, I do want to get into some of the reports as far as the draft is concerned. Um, because uh, the, the Athletic article talks about uh, this in, in detail. How uh, Jeffrey Lurie's increased involvement in the draft and how that's kind of impacted. You know, as we talked about all night, we can bash Howie all we want and Howie is not absolved of blame. But Howie Roseman, uh, and I've been saying it for, for months now, Howie Roseman is acting at the behest of his boss. And it becomes more clear with all the reporting that comes out, whether it's a Jeff McClain story, this athletic story with Bo Wolf. Shil Kapadia and Zach Berman, you know, the more reporting that comes out, the more you look closer into it. It doesn't matter if Howie's here or not. We can scream about how he needs to go, how he's the devil, all this stuff. It doesn't matter because Jeffrey Lurie is the real problem and will continue to be until he recognizes uh, the error of his ways. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, I see Mike there. Mike will be first when we get back. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Real heartwarming moment down in uh, Houston tonight. Uh, did you see that, Mike? Uh, a standing ovation for uh, cheater A.J. Hinch as he makes his return uh, to Houston with the Detroit Tigers. Real, uh, real heartwarming moment. Guy in the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> he really was. But uh, do you hear Dusty Baker's comments last week about how much the, his players have suffered? I mean, it's not really. And I, I, I mean, I like Dusty Baker, but come on, they didn't suffer at all. They didn't. They didn't get any any uh any punishment for the for the cheating scandal. Yeah. I just uh, I don't know, I'm not a big Dusty Baker guy. I just think it's funny that like any other ballpark AJ Hinch is going to get booed and ridiculed and he's down in Houston tipping his cap to the crowd uh for their championship. That well, that story that is like the that story got so overshadowed um because of when the pandemic hit. Remember how big of a deal that was? Right before the pandemic, that the, you know, people were demanding Manfred's job and the Astros. We should have their title stripped, the yeah. and then it was just like all forgotten about. Well, uh, did you see a couple weekends ago? Maybe it was last weekend. No, I'm sorry, it was the weekend before last. The Astros uh, unveiled the 2019 banner. Do they have an asterisk on it. Uh, no. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, the 17 one needed that, but it's like they had that horrible end of October of 19. You know, with the Ozuna thing. Yeah, that, that, that guy, that you know, they blew a three-two lead in the World Series. That you know, they blew a lead in Game Seven. They're home at yeah, uh, and then the cheating scandal. I don't think you want to remind people of you know. Well, why they have October a banner? What for American League Championship? Yeah, okay. And I guess they didn't want feel they didn't do it last year. Okay, so. um, yeah. So AJ Hinch uh, was uh, honored in Former Philly. Was he? When? Yeah, uh, one of the Larry Bowie years. Oh, I didn't didn't even know that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you learn something new every day. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. uh, talking about the Eagles. And in a minute, we'll get to some, uh, more stuff from this athletic, uh, article in regards to Jeffrey Lurie and his involvement specifically in the draft. And, you know, we scream about how he's draft record all the time, but again, this is just another instance where, um, it, it's pretty clear that Jeffrey Lurie. Uh, is the source of a lot of these issues. We'll get to that in a minute. First, let's go to Mike in Boyertown. What's up, Mike? Hey, this is Mike. How are you? Good morning. Good. How you doing, Mike? Oh, well, I'm doing really good, and I feel good about all four of our sports teams. Really? And I'll tell you why in a second. I like this thing. You feel good about the Flyers, Mike? Under the edge. You feel good about We're... the Flyers? No, no, no. Well, well, they're getting there. The other three are there, but they're not I'll getting... tell you why. The Eagles. First of all, to give you an idea, it's what we need and don't need. It's not a matter of personality. It's a matter of position. It's like a chess, it's like a chess match. We need defense. We really don't even need a receiver, but we may pick one up. We don't need an offensive line, and I'll tell you why. What do you mean they don't need a receiver, Mike? I mean, if you well, see well, the receivers well, on this team, they're terrible. Okay, wait a minute. They're not that bad. Rieger wasn't too bad of a move, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> he had a Keep bad ear. Please. Okay. We have been in this run-pass option since Kelly. We have been shotgun, which kind of makes your running backs ineffective because it's like telegraphing a, a, telegraphing a draw play every time. And the receivers don't like to go over the middle because they're going to be double-teamed and they're going to be hammered, okay, when, when they catch the ball. That is a fact. 
Now, my son was Brian. He played with Cardinal O'Hara. He was a strong side offensive guard for Kevin Jones when they almost won the championship against LaSalle. And my son and my son said, we hate to backpedal. We hate to backpedal. That's how we get hurt. And that's why we don't have an offensive line. Our offensive line has been backpedaling. They want to hit people. Mike, up now until you, Mike, now, before now they, Mike, 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 calm down one second. Before last year and the injuries they sustained, they had one of the best offensive lines in the league. What are you talking about? And the only reason they got injured is all the backpedaling. They want to move forward and hit people. So my son was blowing open the holes for Kevin Jones, which got him to Virginia Tech and got him to Detroit. Now, his father overtrained him. He was too brittle. But that wasn't anybody's fault but his father and the coach of O'Hara at that time, Grass. Okay? They should have beaten LaSalle, won the championship. But I was sitting right in front of the LaSalle coaches during the Bonner game, and they said, all they have to do is take Jones out of the game. And they did. In the third quarter, he was even, because the media was there, he was even running back kicks. And they nailed them. Three guys nailed him running back to kick, and Jones was out of the game in the third quarter, and LaSalle won. What does this and have to do with the Eagles? Never forgave the coach for that. What no. does that have to do with the Eagles? Everything. Because now that you have a quarterback that'll go under center, like Brady, half the time, they can get a power runner. We had Murray. Had we had a quarterback under center half the time, and the offensive line was happy, blowing open holes instead of backpedaling and risking injury, we would have won those games. And Murray was perfect. But we were backpedaling, and every running play was a telegraph draw play. Mike, I am having a lot of trouble following you. DeMarco Murray was done. He never did anything after he left Philadelphia. He was doing well. That's because every time he got the ball, the entire defense knew he was going to get the ball. That's why. That's what my offense. That's what my son says, and he played. He yeah, okay. Your your son say played high school football. I played high school football too, Mike. Right, but it's the same principle. It's not the personality. It's the thing. Now let's go to the defense. You're right. We need defensive defensive talent. Talent that that can. It takes too much time for a young defensive secondary or linebacker core to know how each other is thinking, to be able to work together. That's why we had our good defenses. They all were on the same page. So Howie's doing a fine job. And I'll tell you one thing, too. Rory does not, well, he's not like Jerry Jones. He delegates authority. That's how he makes his money. That's how he got where he got. He's a really nice man. And Howie is the guy that runs the team. Mike, Not, so basically, you know, Mike, right. Mike, I suggest you read this article that pretty much contradicts everything you just said about Jeffrey Lurie. How so? Because it says that he is not delegating. He has his hands all over this organization. He's superseding his scouts to make draft picks. He's pretty much running roughshod over everybody. So that's just not true. Well, that makes good conversation. But Howie is the one doing that. Well, <laughs> I got you, Mike. I, I appreciate the call. I mean, we can keep, you know, just yelling about Howie uh, forever. And again, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know how many times I got to say it. Howie's not blameless in all this. But if you read this article, and this is not just this article, it goes back to Jeff McLean's piece, it goes back to uh, many things that we've seen reported late in the season and after the season. It's time to stop denying Jeffrey Lurie's over involvement and Jeffrey Lurie being. Uh, you know, a, a, a 
a metal Samoan at this point. And I don't think it was always this way, but Mike and South Philly brought it up earlier, and I totally agree. As great as 2017 was, and as much as we will always cherish it, it was toxic for Jeffrey Lurie. And it made Jeffrey Lurie believe he was something that he is not. And that is a football expert. Jeffrey Lurie is not a football uh, a football guy. Jeffrey Lurie should not be making personnel decisions. And when you look at this article, one of the more interesting parts of it, and I wanted to get to this, was Lurie's involvement specifically in the draft. And probably the, the biggest... Um, the biggest source of ire that people have with Howie is the draft record. And how could you not have issues with the draft record considering over the last few years since 2017, it's been terrible. Okay. It has been terrible, but this is really nothing new with Jeffrey Lurie in terms of viewing himself as some sort of a draft expert. It's just, enabled him more since the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and he now thinks that he has a level of credibility that I, I think he he delegated before. But uh, I just want to read for you an excerpt from this article in regards to Lurie's draft expertise that he's always kind of viewed himself as uh, an aficionado, uh, aficionado in this regard. Shortly after Lurie bought the team from Norman Brayman in 1994, Peter King wrote, Hollywood producer Jeffrey Lurie is a member of that most rabid subspecies of NFL fanatic, the Draftaholic. In recent years, he prepared for the league's annual draft by holding up in a media room above the garage of his Beverly Hills home, watching tapes of the Blue-Gray game, the Japan Bowl. I never even heard of the Japan Bowl. The Senior Bowl. Lurie would have them all on his big screen surround sound TV. That Lurie has been an active participant in the draft process. Devours tape of college prospects. Says those who have experienced that process acknowledge its murkiness. Often there's no explanation given when the team strays from the established draft draft board. Sometimes, as with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in 2019... Lurie puts his thumb on the scale when the team was prepared to make another selection. In that case, the Eagles were going to take Paris Campbell from Ohio State. There were more reports in the Jeff McClain piece that the Jalen Rager pick was inspired by Jeffrey Lurie and his obsession with this next-gen stat. And that watching the Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the 49ers... um, this stat was flashed on the board about speed and that both those teams were there because of the speed on their roster. And Jeffrey Lurie became obsessed with speed and wanted Jalen Rager. So as we look at all of these draft misses, while you can't absolve Howie because he is the GM and he is paid to take bullets for Jeffrey Lurie. That's what he's doing. Jeffrey Lurie is the one making these mistakes. And it only makes sense when you look at why Howie Roseman is still here. And I'll go back to what Jeffrey Lurie said at the end of the season. When evaluating his front office, here was Jeffrey Lurie on that evaluation and why Howie uh, did not get fired. You take whichever organization you want and look at it over a a multi-year period, uh, you're going to see highs and lows of drafting. You're going to see highs and lows of free agent acquisition. 
and you're going to have to make your own determination of do they have the right people in the building? Is that two years of, of not having good first round picks? Is that related to the people in the building? Or is that because the, the two players that they actually were going to draft uh, got taken just before and they're all pro players in the league? What, what, you got, you got to be much more, com- I have to be much more in depth and complex about the analysis. Um, luckily for me, I sit there and I get to see exactly what took place and takes place. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book about it. Now, this is part of the problem because Jeffrey Lurie obviously thinks way too highly of himself. I mean, he's talking about a team that doesn't draft well, and he's talking about writing a book about how great they are at drafting and the process that they go through to get to their decisions. Here's more from Lurie on uh, uh, addressing the draft mistakes that have been made. If we are not identifying the best players uh, leading up to a selection uh, in the draft, then that's a problem. If we are identifying the best players, but they get taken two, three, four, five picks ahead of us, um, that's also part of the evaluation. That's part of um, understanding the process, understanding the details. And so I always have to make the tough decision of um, what are we getting it right? Where are we getting it wrong? Where are the decisions being made that may cause us to, once we didn't get the three players that we really wanted right there, they just got taken, what's caused that next selection that may not be um, uh, been maximized. Now, this is not rocket science here. Because when you hear Jeffrey Lurie bending over backwards to make all these excuses for his front office, like the one thing I do believe about Jeffrey Lurie is I believe he really does want to win. And I believe if he thought it was best for his organization to get rid of Howie Roseman, to blow out his front office and to bring in a new staff. If he thought that that was going to result in better, in a better football team, in a better roster, I think he would do it. Like I absolutely do believe that, but the re like, just don't overthink it. Why do you believe that he is so hell bent on bending over backwards to defend Howie and the rest of the front office. It's because he's the one who's been making these decisions. And you can deny the reporting all you want. I know in these days, you know, everybody just screams fake news at everything. Things aren't, aren't real. You know, the, the, since the, the perception has been created that Howie is this tyrant, Howie is this puppet master uh, running roughshod through the organization, and he's got some sort of um, sorcerer's spell over Jeffrey Lurie because, you know, that if enough people say it, you end up believing it's true. It just doesn't make sense. What makes sense and what is reality based on all the reporting that we have is that Jeffrey Lurie has become meddlesome. Jeffrey Lurie has become an owner akin to Jerry Jones. And that is the main problem that is plaguing the Eagles right now. An owner that will not allow the people beneath him to do their jobs adequately. Is Howie an extension of that? Sure. And he deserves uh, blame as well. But he does not deserve the bulk of the blame as he's been getting. Like, he is only 
a front for what the main issue is. And unfortunately, the only way the Eagles are going to fix their problems, the only way they are going to get out of this spiral that they've gone into is if the owner is honest with himself and if the owner is retro is introspective with himself and understands that he has made so many mistakes in micromanaging interfering interloping with his front office with his coaching staff and is it has resulted in the disintegr- disintegration of this organization and it's all result of 2017 as great as that season was, it was toxic to Jeffrey Lurie. And it made Jeffrey Lurie believe in his heart and in his mind that he's something he's not, which is some sort of football expert. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Switch it up a little bit when we get back. I do want to do a little Sixers um, update here uh, as they got a big win on Monday night against Dallas. They're starting a big seven-game stretch here, and they got a big win on the road to get it started. Uh, next up, a, 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 a huge showdown with the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday night. So we'll talk a little Sixers when we return. Also, uh, a rant from Stephen A. Smith on Kyrie Irving. Um, as we look at the Brooklyn Nets, the chief competitor of the Sixers in the East. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. In a couple minutes here, we'll get to the Sixers as they had a big win on Monday night. Dominant performance. Exactly what you want to see uh, to start this uh, very important seven-game stretch. I do got to say something I got wrong in the last segment that Mike corrected me on. Uh, DeMarco Murray did run for 2,000 yards over two seasons in Tennessee. I did. I remember that immediately when I said it, that he did have some success in Tennessee. So I was wrong about that, saying he didn't do anything after he left Philadelphia. Uh, but whatever, DeMarco Murray still still stunk here. Still a bad signing. 215-592-9494. Uh, let's go to Peter. What's up, Peter? Hi, Tom. Good morning, Peter. What's going on? Well, I've listened to your rant on Laurie, and he sounds like a little George Steinbrenner. It's kind of the way uh, it seems right now, Peter. It is, and uh, I'm just hoping that uh, Joe Flacco has a good year. But on the Phillies, Joe, Joe Flacco, I don't. You, a good year for Joe Flacco would be uh, on the bench. That, that's exceptional. Because I, I, I tell you, they they really need a veteran to step up. The Phillies have done excellent so far, uh-huh. but I got a feeling they might burn out their bullpen when you have Connor with uh, three wins already. Okay. And Jose with two. Yep. And they've already pitched four and two thirds each. Your okay. starting pitching is great, but um, they need more run support early so that way they get the victory instead of the uh, bullpen. Well, why do you care who gets the victory, Peter? It doesn't really matter. I mean, um, wins and losses, they, they're not a very well, important stat. When I, was, when I was a player, I was a pitcher. Okay, so you wanted you wanted your dub. If you were if you were starting, you, you were did, did you did you get mad at your lineup at your offensive players? They didn't get you those that run, give you that run support. I did not let them see it. Okay, but you were mad on I the would, inside. I would not break my hand like Doyle Alexander. Okay, or someone like that. But um, you know, if you burn out your bullpen because you know I've I've watched Girardi's career. And I still remember when he had Gordon, Mariano, and Quantrill. Wow. And when it came time to go against the Red Sox in October, those three, two of them were burned out, not Mariano. Well, that... that, that Burn out the bullpen, you're messed up if you don't have someone to come up from behind. I got you, Peter. And then they have have to use Matt Joyce more. (laughs) Yeah, Matt Joyce is an excellent hitter. Matt, you Been think Matt Joyce is going time. to be the X factor this season? Do you think he's going to be the difference between a playoff spot? Well, him and Matt Moore have uh, experience from Tampa Bay. There you go. You're a Matt Joyce and Matt Moore guy, Peter. There you go. You can lead those two fan clubs. I appreciate it. Uh, how about that? A Matt Moore, a Matt, a Matt Joyce. I just made him one guy. A Matt Joyce and Matt Moore stand. Uh, didn't expect that on the show tonight. I'm not hearing more. I'm not hearing a lot of people clamoring to get more at bats for Matt Joyce right now. I forgot he's still on the roster. To be honest, we had a big double last night. Did he? I must have missed it. Sunday night, I should say. Okay, he was. Uh, yeah, that's right. He did have a pinch smoked hit. one uh, down the the right field line. Okay, great. So Matt Moore uh, or Matt Joyce? Matt Joyce. God, oh. okay. This is gonna be uh, it's gonna be difficult for me to to separate these two. Um, so are you, are you Matt Joyce guy, Mike? You know, I respect him as a pinch hitter. I think he's perfectly fine in the role and the, you know, the amount of at-bats he's getting. There you go. Uh, so thank you to Peter for the call. 
9494. I did want to talk about the Sixers real quick. They get a big win on Monday night. We mentioned a little bit earlier, but this is a real important seven game stretch. And uh, Sixers, starting with Dallas now, I mean, it's a tough schedule over the next um, two weeks here, where you got Brooklyn, Clippers, Golden State, Phoenix all at home, then back to back with Milwaukee on the road. And um, those Milwaukee games, you're just hoping to get one or two. Uh, you know, of those other ones at home, Golden State's the one I think you should win. Um, but a great start for the Sixers on Monday night. And, you know, you look at where they are and what they are looking at in the playoffs. And I know everybody's afraid of, of Brooklyn right now. And I get it. You know, that team has a lot of firepower. And if they get healthy, they get KD, James Harden, Kyrie on the court at the same time. They are going to be difficult to beat. But what I saw on Monday night is what gives me confidence in a series against Brooklyn. And what I mean by that is you see what happens to a team that has no way to guard Joel Embiid. And that Dallas team has no way to guard Joel Embiid. It was like, okay, they're going to put Maxi Kleber on him for... Uh, to start the game. Okay, he's got two fouls in two minutes. He's out. Okay, who are you going to put on him next? Um, Pal, he gets two fouls. He's out. You're going to put Boban on it. You know, Boban doesn't have a chance to guard Joel Embiid. And he is just so dominant right now. It, it, it's it's almost impossible to defend him. And uh, we have sound from Rick Carlisle after the game, Dallas coach, talking about just their plan on Joel Embiid just not working. And that's what he does. And it was funny how on the broadcast, by the way, I, I just, I love JVG. He's just a, a national treasure. He's so miserable. Like, it, it, but he's miserable in like a charming way, if that makes sense. Um, you know, Mark Jackson, I take him or leave him. He's fine. He, he, but the, the interplay between those two guys is, is interesting because they have worked together for a long time. And I believe Van Gundy coached Mark Jackson in New, in New York. Um, yeah. But, uh, Van Gundy is just like so miserable that he's it's it's hilarious. People now are, are like stealing his bits of um like you know ripping the the replay like that. Chris Weber tried doing that last week and forget who was working maybe in like BA or uh, okay I knew they tried calling him out on it and and like what I meant what I wanted to say there is they're talking about a bead and Dave Pash is is saying, well, you know, he doesn't take the three there. Instead, he steps in to take the two. And they had just mentioned before that he's not shooting the three well right now. And Dave Pash basically says to him, he's like, well, what does that tell you? And Van Gundy's like, well, it tells me he's smart. Like, he's going inside to get the better shot because Embiid is so impossible to defend that the center can't do anything. Like, if you come out and you play him up top, he's just going to go right by you. So they just back up. He's like, all right, I'll take three steps in. I'll get the shot I want. And, 
you know, if his shot's not falling, he'll just go to the basket and get fouled. And you hear Carlisle just exasperated there. Like, yeah, he just fouls our guys out. Like, there's nothing we can do to stop him. Um, here's more from Rick Carlisle talking about the greatness of Joel Embiid. You know, I, I just see it, you know, in today's game with young players, it, it just takes, it takes a while to, to understand everything that goes into the consistency of winning. Um, and, you know, I, I thought, I thought Brett Brown did a great job of bringing him along to where he got to last year. And, and, you know, Doc has, has taken, has taken that and, and, you know, Joel's obviously uh, a spot now where, where he's taking it to another level really in all areas. I mean, as a player, um, as a leader, um, there's just a, a much greater level of consistency out there. And, and it's and you look at how they match up against Brooklyn. I just keep going to it. Brooklyn has nobody that can guard him. Like, what, LaMarcus Aldridge? Andre Drummond went off on them the other night. If Andre Drummond is dominating you inside, what is Joel Embiid going to do to you over the course of a seven-game series? And, you know, you look at the last year against Boston, yeah, you could say, well, they didn't have anybody to guard Embiid, and they swept the Sixers. Sixers didn't have three-point shooters. They didn't have Ben Simmons. Um And I just, I don't, maybe I'm just buying into too much and I I, like this, this lack of continuity, but I think there's something to it. Like, I don't, I don't think Brooklyn is the biggest threat to the Sixers in the East. I really don't. I look at Milwaukee and I look at Miami and I think those teams are much more of a threat because they have guys they can at least throw at Embiid. I don't know if it'll really matter. Um, the way he's playing right now, he's so dominant that, that it doesn't seem uh, to really matter who you throw at him. And if he keeps playing this way and he stays healthy, and obviously that's the key, and that's what the Sixers need to make sure um, they monitor over the end of the season. You get him through these next six games, I'm sure he'll play all these, and then you know you really got to be careful with him moving forward. Um, but Joel Embiid is, is the best player in the NBA right now. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is the most dominant player in the league right now. He's completely unguardable. And if he is playing consistently the way he's playing Monday night, I have a lot of trouble seeing anybody beat the Sixers in a seven-game series. Let's go to Adrian here. What's up, Adrian? I'm jealous. What's going on, Adrian? So you can switch gears, you know what I mean? You keep talking about this losing organization in Philadelphia. Here we got the first place 76ers. Why should at least get an hour of your time, Tom Kelly? You do all this homework on Jeffrey Lurie and and little Howie Roseman. Like, well, there was a, I mean, there was a big story that came out Monday, Adrian. I know you'd like to program the show, but sometimes you're going to have to sit through some Eagles talk. <laughs> I mean, the show is easy to program. It's eagle, 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 and then we get a little sick to talk. Then we're throwing a little flyers and maybe a little fillies. But eagle, 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 eagle. Now, Adrian, if there was They're a big if there was a big story that came out about the Maras, like micromanaging every aspect of the organization, you wouldn't be interested in that? Man, I mean, this is what's been going on since 2017. It's the same thing. Like You act like it's something new. What's so big about it? Jeffrey Laurie and Howie Rosen is down there playing fantasy football. <laughs> Adrian, you just keep saying the same thing. Right, I mean, of right, course right, we're going to talk about sixes, it. Let's talk sixes, man. Sure. Let's talk sixes. I didn't give him too much airplay now. 
I, I just think that um, our defense, our team defense is getting a lot better. It ain't just Ben Simmons. It's the team defense that's getting a lot better. I think we played real great defense on Dallas, whereas though they couldn't really do too much to us. Um, I'd rather not see Miami until – I'd rather see Brooklyn get past Miami. If we can avoid playing Miami in the first two rounds, uh, we had to say I'd rather see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I, I think Miami is the team you're going to really have to watch because they actually have a defensive pedigree and – they got some players that actually can get some things done. I'm with you, Aiden. Um, no, I, I agree with you, Adrian. I think, honestly, they're the team that scares me the most in the East. Um, you know, they at least have somebody in Adebayo who is a good defender and can maybe slow Embiid down a little bit. And just the thing that scares me the most about them is Spolster. I think is the best coach in the league. And, uh, you know, th- that is the team that scares me the most as well. I wouldn't give him the best coach in the league, but they do play yeah. to his strength, so I will give him that. But um, I, I don't know, man. I, I just think that um, Joel Embiid is playing at, at a high. I, I'm not even worrying about the Ben Simmons thing. Um, he's a facilitator. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, people looking for him to score 20 and 30 points, I think you're just not going to get that out of out of um, Ben Simmons because I think he sacrificed so much of his games to get everybody involved and, and get these three-pointed shots. So – I, I just, I still can't, I'm telling you, I still can't get over this trade. We got a guy that we might not see into the playoffs. What kind of chemistry he going to bring? George Hill, yeah, chemistry I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to, obviously, it's going to be um, difficult to see how he's going to fit in if he's not going to play for a while. And and he said he'll be back before the playoffs. You hope you can get some games with him. But, I mean, I think he's going to help, but... Adrian, you look at the bench. I, I, right, the guy who's really interesting to me right now, I don't think he can keep off the floor, is Korkmaz. I mean, Korkmaz, he has gotten so much better on the defensive end. He's one of the more reliable bench players right now. Yeah, I think I think his defense is, is, is getting better because our team defense is getting better. I think he's stepping in the passing lanes a lot more and, and, and getting steals that way. Um, and he's making shots. I mean, Korkmaz is actually making shots, so... I don't know, man. I, I just think Doc got these guys playing, man. Um, I think Doc the best coach in, in, in the East to me. That's 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 my that's my my, my opinion because I just think he just makes he he challenges everybody and he gets the best out of everybody. So, hey, look, man. I, I like our chances, man. I like our chances. I mean, I don't Kyrie Kyrie just he just takes off whenever he wants. I, I can't see the things that they doing in Brooklyn is eventually going to just translate for them actually coming out of the East. It's just too many distractions going on. Uh, you know, with Durant being hurt, now you got Harden hurt, and then you got Kyrie picking and choosing when he want to take a personal day. How many personal days do, do he get? Yeah, no, it's 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 ridiculous, Adrian. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is ridiculous with Kyrie Irving, and you can't really rely on him. And uh, it's part of why – I think I just I get an odd feel about the Nets. I just have a sense that come playoff time, it's it's not easy to just integrate all these pieces together. And their defense has been terrible all year. Like getting all those guys on the floor together, yeah, they'll score a lot of points, but how are they going to defend Embiid? And that's what I keep coming back to. And it's why that team. Um, you know, it doesn't worry me as much as a team like Miami or, or Milwaukee. 215 592 
215-592-9494. When we get back, we'll kind of reset some of the Eagles conversation we've been having throughout the course of the night to Adrian Chagrin. I'm sorry, Adrian. Um, Adrian, of course, he's a Giants fan. He doesn't like when we talk about the Eagles. But a uh, big Eagles story out on Monday. We'll kind of reset it for those of you who didn't read it when we get back. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. Uh, open lines now. Pretty busy night. Uh, but if you want to get in, now's a good time. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, as you're in the last segment, I've been talking to some Sixers as they uh, beat Dallas on Monday night. Uh, pretty impressive victory as the Sixers get started. This seven-game stretch against some of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, now all eyes will turn to Wednesday night as they take on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, first time Now, they played a couple times already this year. That's right. But neither time have... Now, they played once in Brooklyn that they lost, and then once in Philadelphia, I remember. Um, and I don't think... You know, Brooklyn hasn't really been healthy all year. And... We'll get to Stephen A. at some point before we get out of here. Rip Kyrie Irving. But uh, uh, we'll get to see, I guess, everybody playing except James Harden. And that's if Kyrie decides he wants to play on Wednesday night. So uh, discuss that uh, a little bit. But mainly talking about this big Eagle story that was released um, on Monday in The Athletic. Uh, Zach Berman, Shiel Kapadia, and Bo Wolf doing the reporting on this Eagles organization. And... Uh, for those of you who haven't gotten the chance to read it, you're just waking up. Uh, basically, it details the inner workings of the Eagles front office and some of the dynamics behind the scenes. Uh, some including Doug Peterson. I did want to get to that, uh, and we'll get to that in in, in later in the 4 o'clock hour here. As, you know, a lot of interesting things in here in regards to these Tuesday meetings that Doug would have to go through with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, where they basically dissect his decision-making, even in wins, uh, even a game like the Green Bay win week four in 2019 that I thought was a tremendous victory. I mean, you go on the road to Lambeau, um, one of the better teams in the league. I remember looking at, on a Thursday night, I remember looking at it in that schedule before that um, that game was played and when the season you know, got started, and I'm like, well, that's a loss. That's just a tough spot uh, to be in. But um, the Eagles end up getting the win in that game, but apparently that wasn't enough to please the owner and Howie Roseman. And they would, you know, kind of criticize every decision Doug made. There was that aspect of it. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie's involvement in the draft process, uh, this divide between the analytics staff and the football operations and scouting staff. And um, that, I think you can put on Howie Roseman, who his main job is to get all of these factions working in the same direction, which uh, that you can hold him accountable for. But what I took mainly from this and what I think dispels the notion that Howie Roseman is solely to blame for all the Eagles' issues. Because let's face it, that is the perception amongst many in this city right now. That Howie Roseman is this tyrant running rogue through the Eagles organization. But all the reporting that we have at this point would indicate that that is not true. And the main thing that I took from this piece is that Jeffrey Lurie has become way too involved in football operations as the owner of this team. And it's not something that was always the case. And I think it all dates back to 2017 and the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, which none of us would trade for anything. 
but it made Jeffrey Lurie believe he is something that he is not, which is some sort of football expert. And, you know, as much as we criticize Howie Roseman for all of these moves, and he is not exempt from criticism, he is the front man, and his job is essentially to take the bullets for this organization, which he does, he does quite often. But when you really look at it, the issues reside with Jeffrey Lurie. And that Howie Roseman is nothing more than kind of the representative and the person carrying out the orders he's getting above. And Shil Kapati, who's part of writing this piece, uh, joined John Marks and Ike Reese on Monday afternoon and talked about how he views Howie's role within this organization. What the structure is, I think that it's uh, Jeffrey Lurie at the top, who is certainly uh, an involved owner. And then I think under him is Howie Roseman, who operates as sort of a CEO type general manager. You know, there are general managers out there who their job is just to scout and personnel and pick players, and that's everything. And I think with Howie, we probably focus on that too much. That That's not really his job. His job is collaboration, coaching, analytics, scouting, the owner, his job is to kind of tie all those things together and then ultimate, ultimately make the final decision. So, so that is certainly where the power lies. And in that regard, Howie Roseman has failed. You know, his, if his job is to get everybody on the right page working in the same direction, that is, is not happening. Because there are these divides, but I think he's in a no-win situation because of the way Jeffrey Lurie demands involvement. And because of the way Jeffrey Lurie insists on being a part of things that he has no business being a part of. And we now have reports dating back to the Jeff McClain piece that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Jalen Rager, that these were picks that were inspired by Jeffrey Lurie, not Howie Roseman. And as Shield said right there, while it's Howie Roseman getting the final decisions, His job is not necessarily just drafting and evaluating. He is not the guy solely making these decisions on his own own accord. If anybody's doing that, it is Jeffrey Lord. And you look at their relationship, and it is a complicated one. Here's Jeff McClain from a few months ago talking about the relationship between Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. I think Jeffrey's trust in Howie, the the relationship they forged after 21 years of being together, being through the highs of winning a Super Bowl and surviving the lows of the end of the Andy Reid era, the end of the Chip Kelly year, as we all know, was kind of uh, disastrous almost. And the relationship between uh, Howie and Chip being a certain uh, big, certainly a big reason why that uh, ended and, and having gone through obviously this last year, which was another low point for the franchise. Um, and But there's more to it than just that. I mean, Howie's had success, and certainly. And if you look at his record, it's pretty good. Um but the last three years have not been good in terms of his off-season moves. So you have to question what's going on with this dynamic between Jeff and, and Howie and what I discovered uh, clearly. And, I, you know, we've touched on this before. This is, you know, something that I've reported in various respects before in terms of, like, Jeffrey's involvement in the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside pick and Jeff's involvement in the John Hurts pick. Now, a lot of it has to do with Jeff and his, you know, increasing involvement in football decisions and having somebody who will, uh, in some ways, allow him to be that. And so there's a little bit of a uh, self-enabling, I think, going on with Howie and Jeff, and I think that's a big reason why Howie is still 
with the team. But obviously, I want to focus on. I, mean, I also want to point out too that you know this is a guy who won a Super Bowl just three year three years ago and had a successful two year run in building that team. And that's the main thing. Like Howie Roseman is certainly deserve, deserves blame here, and it's not absolved, but. He's in a very difficult situation. Here's more from Jeff McLean on how he believes Howie uh, feels about Jeffrey Lurie and his increased involvement. A lot of the people I spoke to were sticking up for Howie. His allies were like, you got to look at the situation that's, that's been created internally here. And he's had to you know, be basically the front man for some of Jeff's decisions. Or, and, and it's just not fair to him. And I wondered in myself, and I just maybe get the sense that you know, maybe how he's fed up with it. <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, how many times can you take the bullets for your boss's decisions? And, yeah, you know, look, he's been here for 21 years. He's never worked for another franchise. That's very extremely rare in the NFL for a GM. Usually they have to kind of bounce around to get to the place where they are. So I don't know if he's kind of backed himself in the corner in terms of if you were to leave, would he be able to get another opportunity as a GM elsewhere? Um, but you have to wonder how much does it – play on him that you know and look i guess i'm sure there's certainly a great relationship between the two certainly jeffrey has allowed howie to become who he is and that's something he's probably grateful for but at one at some point you just got to kind of say to yourself i mean how much more can i can i take of this and we already heard the report from espn that jeffrey is apparently directing you know behind the scenes what to do with john hurts and, and whether they should bring in some competition for this guy is that something as a gm you want your owner to do and it, it, it it's the problem that has been with this organization that was jeff mclean from uh, what six seven weeks ago in regards to jeffrey glory and as much as we scream about howie constantly this is a jeffrey glory problem and the culture and the issues that have been created within this organization all stem from Jeffrey Lurie. Howie is a very convenient front man to blame. And you can certainly build a legitimate argument that he doesn't deserve to be in his position either. But honestly, it's not going to matter if Howie Roseman's here or not. Because unless the owner recognizes his own failures, and unless the owner recognizes the fact that he has become too involved and he has become too meddlesome, then nothing's going to change. Whether Howie Roseman's the GM, whether they go hire somebody else uh, to put in place, because it's only going to be the same thing all over again. Well, Jeffrey Lurie will continue to insist on being involved with the draft. He'll continue to be insistent on being involved with coaching decisions and game plans and things like that, things he has no business in. And it's time we redirect our frustration and anger from Howie Roseman, who is a pretty convenient person to blame, to where the blame really should reside, which is with the owner, Jeffrey Lurie. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. That's how you join the show. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly. When we get back, um, I did want to uh, play this Stephen A. Smith sound for you. So we'll do that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. Phil's doubleheader later on today, starting at 410. It is a seven-inning doubleheader, um, which Mike Angelina does not like, correct? You do not like the seven-inning doubleheader. You're a fan of the full nine-inning. You, you don't view it as real bait. You're, you're a pretty old-school baseball guy, aren't you? Uh, I mean, I... I, if following the rules makes me old school, yeah, I guess so. You don't like any of this stuff. You don't like the runner on second and extras? Come on, let's have a little fun here. How about we just watch the game play out and see who wins? Oh, come on, that's no fun. I mean, that's a grumpy attitude to have. Okay. Um, we have 41-minute NBA games while we're at it? Ah, you know, that's 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 different. That's, that's What's uh, different? What's different about it? <laughs> you know what? It's actually pretty similar. Um, but we'll get to the Stephen A. sound in a second, but I did want to... Uh, just think about this other aspect of this story. And it was uh, an aspect of this story that actually made me laugh where, and this is something I didn't know anything about. And I, I, was this previously reported the uh, fact that Brian Dawkins, when he was working in the Eagles front office, made some sort of impassioned speech uh, to the front office about everybody working together. And this was, at some point between 2016 and 2018 is all we know about it, right? Yeah, because he uh, he left his position there in 2018, I believe, right? Shortly after the Super Bowl. Yeah. So okay. So maybe it was during the Super Bowl. Maybe year. it was like his fair, or maybe it was like his farewell. Uh, yeah. Moment. But um, apparently, uh, there was bickering going on behind the scenes. There was dissension within the organization and. Brian Dawkins made like an impassioned speech to the front office. And I'm just imagining, you know, the speeches he would make uh, on the field in the pregame warmups to his teammates. Um, and, you know, that's the atmosphere where you kind of do that. I'm just imagining like all these Harvard grads, because that was another uh, thing in this uh, in this piece that this guy, what's the guy's name? Alec Hallaby is the head of the analytics department and he's a Harvard grad and he's got a lot of power, a lot of power um, behind the scenes in the Eagles organization. I'm just imagining all these like computer nerds and uh, Brian Dawkins making like this impassioned speech um, to all these analytics guys. It was probably a pretty, a pretty uh, funny moment. Uh, You know, he's acting like he's still in the field, in the locker room, talking to his teammates and he's talking to a lot of like analytics guys. Right. You know, something that you, you gotta, you thrive on with your, your decision-making, not your physical ability. Right. You don't need to really get physically revved up. (laughs) Right. Like, I wonder like, what is the content of what he's saying? Like, uh, let's crunch the numbers harder. Like it's probably like, we all need to like be pulling on the same rope, everyone in the same direction, get over whatever's causing this rift and everyone Unite. It's probably like one of those deals. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I just thought that was funny um, that that Brian Dawkins would do that in that environment. But uh, just another aspect to this, to this story in this organization um, that uh, you know things have not gone well over the last twelve months, and he, all you can hope is that Jeffrey Laurie sees the error of his ways here, because as much as we want to. Uh, point at everybody, point at Howie, and point at the front office. This is a Jeffrey Lurie problem, and it has been for a while. And until he recognizes that, it really doesn't matter what other moves are made, um, because you can't fire the owner. Um, and 
if Jeffrey Lurie wants to keep doing what he's doing, he'll just go hire somebody else that's going to enable him uh, to to do what he's done, and that is overseeing drafts, um, micromanage coaches, and we'll get to the Doug stuff uh, at 5 o'clock, which uh, I found to be an interesting part of this as well. But um, this is a Jeffrey Lurie issue, and uh, this story just confirms that even more. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, we do have Gabe Kapler coming up in the next segment. Uh, Mike told me he does have a Gabe check-in ready, uh, so we'll get to that. But I talked about this earlier. We are talking about the Nets and all of, of their issues and the fact that we don't know who's going to be playing for them on Wednesday night. Uh, James Harden, it appears, will be out. Kevin Durant's back for the time being. We'll see how long that lasts. But Kyrie Irving took a personal day on Monday. Um uh, after he gotten uh, you know some altercation with Dennis Schroeder in the game on Saturday night, and um, Stephen A, who you know is known to rant, uh, went on a rant uh, about Kyrie Irving, and I think Stephen A makes some good points here. Is Stephen A. Smith on Kyrie Irving? What the hell is going on? You only played twenty games last year in Brooklyn. Okay, you didn't play in the bubble. Then you come out of the, you know, you didn't want people to play in the bubble because you wanted folks to focus on other issues. And it turns out you got your own issues, whatever they may be. And so we wish him and his family and everybody, nobody's wishing anything negative about them. Nobody, nobody's doing that. We all hope that everything, everything and everybody is okay. But I don't recall Kyrie at any point saying, here's your money back. You know, you don't have to pay me, but you're missing games at your discretion. I mean, how many personal days do you need? You don't play every day. You got 72 games this year instead of 82. You only played 20 of the, 80, or the 72 last year. What the hell is going on where you don't, you just missing game? It's true. And uh, I like that rant from Stephen A. It's true. I mean, Kyrie Irving, um, you know, is is somebody who, who signed for a lot of money, uh, only plays when he feels like. He hasn't missed a lot of games to injury. Um, you know, he just doesn't want to play all the time. And uh, ultimately, I mean, that team, uh, there's just a weird feel with that team, as I said earlier. Uh, and, and I think it's really going to be difficult for them to go on a run with the lack of cohesion that they've had. And uh, I would like the Sixers' chances against them. 215-592. 9494. Let's go to Mike and King of Prussia. I'm interested to hear Mike's take on all this. What's up, Mike? So, here's my thing. I mean, you're a Howie guy. Well, have you seen the light a little bit, Mike? That, no, that Howie's no, not the not, devil here? No, Howie is the devil. <laughs> here's the thing, and it's not my main point, but Howie is still the devil because he's using whatever tactics he can to, to cozy himself up to the owner so he can, you know, stay in power and do whatever. And let, what, what, what uh, the owner's blessing. Well, so. Mike, I'll let you finish, but if you have a boss, aren't you going to do what your boss is telling you to well, do? Like, anybody would do that. Yeah, but also there's been articles that say, like, he's the only conduit to any of the information. He he, he isolates Jeffrey to be, make him, he's the only source of information on what's going on with the Eagles. So, I mean, Jeffrey it, can change that if he wants. Yeah, he's the owner. But, but it, he's buttered himself so up to him that, like, he... he thinks he can trust him, but that's not my main point. Okay. So this is why we've, we've had this conversation back and forth, but here's my thing. Every week there's an article like this, and like, as a fan, 
I got to wonder, like, with all the, the garbage players on the field and, and every week there's an article like this exposing how bad the front office is and, and, and just how – how can anybody at this point root for this team? Like, I, I mean, if you were completely blind and you're just like, I like football and I like the Eagles and that's fine. But, like, if you're, like, in, a fan that, like, looks into all of this and looks at, you know, what's on the field and how it got there and – who's involved and, and hearing like how they're dressing down the coaches. Like how can anybody actually be a fan of this team at this point? Like how can you root for them to have success when they're kind of like the worst people ever? Well, because first of all, Mike, I mean, you know, let's not act like we all know these guys uh, intimately. We don't. And people are, people are Eagles fans. Like, of course they're going to root for the team to succeed and you're going to root for the team to succeed too. Seriously. I mean, Mike, if the, if, if the Eagles go out and they start five and oh, you're going to be rooting against them. That's, that's a lie. No, it's not. I rooted for him. I rooted against them all last season. I like that makes you a bad fan. What's that? I'm, it doesn't make me a bad fan. It makes me want change. And their only way to precipitate change is to get these people to get like people like Allie Roseman out of there. And then that's so I'm comfortable rooting against them so that they'll see the error of their ways. And that's what I'm trying to say. But Mike, like, what would firing Howie Roseman do? Like, what do you think that would do when it's clear that Jeffrey Lurie is the well, one if, causing if, these problems? If if you fire Howie Roseman and if you see that the stuff that you've been doing and the way that you've been treating coaches and bringing in probably lesser coaches because you want more control and you're you're afraid of uh, losing your team and you see that you've erred in your ways and you make changes, then one. The, the stigma that everybody like hates Howie that gets that over and people feel better about it and two like you'll understand that maybe the path you've been taking was the wrong one so maybe you'll do better and you'll bring in better talent evaluators so that's how I that's how I take it so yeah I'll, I'll I hope the Eagles go 0 and 17 this year well I you know I think that's terrible Mike I appreciate the call I just I I, I can't I can't understand that line of thinking like I just don't get it and you know I want the team to win and I don't care you know who's the general manager I don't care who's the head coach I just want the team to win yeah like there are people out there that don't care what the the owner looks like or what the general manager you know most name is like Most people. People, I don't know. Like sometimes people just want to watch football and watch ball and be entertained. Yeah, I, well, I'd say that's a majority. Like yeah. a, the majority of fans are casual fans and don't pay attention to the inner workings of the organization and all this stuff. I mean, most of the people that listen to this station a lot do, um, and you know, we obviously do, but a, a lot of people don't. And you know, ultimately, we all just want what's best for for the organization. Like. And and I honestly think Mike does too. And I I mean, if the Eagles did have a great year and got to the playoffs, I don't know. Maybe Mike would root against them. I have a feeling he wouldn't. Like I have a feeling that if the Eagles got to the postseason and they had a chance to make a run, you'd root for him because you're an Eagles fan. Yeah, I he's called you before. I think that guy's just doing a bit. No, I mean, Mike calls he calls the afternoon show a lot too, and he just he really doesn't like Howie. And I get it. There are a lot of people don't, that don't like Howie, but this is this is kind of the thing where it's become such a, a 
a, a popular talking point that people are just going to say it and they're not going to look deeper at the problem. And it's like clear that if you look deeper into what's going on here, and I, I, I'll say it every time because this is not to absolve Howie. Howie, he has made mistakes. He is responsible for not getting everybody pulling in the right direction, for not coalescing the scouting department and the analytics department and all that stuff. He needs to do a better job of that. But I don't know how you can see the athletic piece, the Jeff McClain piece, all the reporting toward the end of the season, and not understand that Jeffrey Lurie is the main issue here. Jeffrey Lurie is the person who has been jaded by the success of 2017. And he has become way too involved. And I I honestly don't know what you want Howie to do in that situation when he is obeying the commands and the directives that his boss is giving him. Like, we all do things at our jobs that we may not necessarily think is right, that we might not necessarily agree with, but that our bosses want us to do. I mean, it happens all the time. And, you know, you can call that self-preservation or whatever, um, but I don't know what how he's supposed to do if Jeffrey Lurie is saying, you must pick J.J. Arthago-Whiteside, which apparently has been reported two times now by two separate publications. What is how he's supposed to do in that spot? No, I'm getting fired. If uh, you can, uh, I'll either draft somebody else or you fire me. No, he's probably going to draft J.J. Arthago Whiteside, and that is where the owner needs to be introspective and understand that he is not a football scout. He is not a draft guy, and he needs to take a step back and separate himself from this stuff. Or else, it doesn't matter who's in the front office. It doesn't matter who the head coach is. These issues are going to continue to happen. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 when we get back. We'll have a Gabe Kapler check-in. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
I'm really glad we're talking about this. I'd love to, to chat about whatever you guys want to chat about. Really enthusiastic about having this conversation with you. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. It gives me joy how much you love this segment, Mike. You really do live for the Gabe Kapler check-in. Um, you enjoy it so much. It means your show's almost over. It does. There you go. Uh, so, um, did did the Giants play on Monday night? Were they washed out as well? Or did they have an off day? No, they're, they're, they play much further away than us. Uh, they, uh, they, they had no problems getting the game underway. and They got blanked. They so, did. Who'd they, who'd they play on Monday night? Uh, Wade Miley in the Reds. So, I'll actually start with this. This was funny. Gabe had an interesting key to beating Wade Miley. He thinks one of the keys is calling timeout. Well, he works fast. Um, you know, we always talk about on our side, pushing the pace. So this is something that Miley does, has done well throughout his career. So we're going to need to ensure that if we need a little time, we, we ask for it. Um, that'll be a key to our success. Our guys need to be aware of it. He's a veteran guy. Uh, he's going to know how to navigate the situation. Uh, the moment's not going to be too big for him at any given time during the game. So uh, we've got our work cut out for us. So what was he saying there exactly? They need to call timeout to throw call him off. To, to throw him off because he works fast. Yeah, but uh, the kind of like know. Cliff Lee would used to work fast. Yeah, I mean the Reds threw a combined shutout, so maybe they didn't. Yeah, call I don't. Timeout. Yeah, whatever it was, whatever their strategy was, clearly didn't work. This is funny. Uh, so Joey Vadas obviously went off to a rough start. He had a rough year last year too, and you know he's thirty six or whatever. He's declining. So John Miller kind of is alluding to that, and then Gabe cut him off and said. I don't forget about him. For a long, long time, when you think of the Reds, uh, you would always think of the name Joey Votto. He's been a, a great hitter, a perennial all-star for many years, uh, but he has not been the same the last two or three seasons. But some of those other guys that you bring up. No, I just got to be honest here, John. I, I'll never forget that Joey Votto is sitting in the middle of their lineup. It's not one of those things that you're like, ah, well, he hasn't been as good the last couple of years. He's still a dangerous um, asset for the Reds. Still knows how to work a high quality at bat is always going to have a plan, a good understanding of what the opposing pitcher is going to do. So all of the players that you mentioned and Votto are all dangerous. So he, he, he still thinks he's a threat at this point. Yeah, this one, I plucked this one from one of Gabe's uh, leadership uh, seminar things he does. A little, uh, maybe a little uh, advice he could leave with the Eagles. Something specific that I think like losing cultures do is they get very dug in on positions. Um, and, and to, to clarify that a little bit, they, they never change their minds. I think a good culture has people all the time challenging their own positions, examining their own biases, and ultimately changing their minds frequently. Um, so dug in cultures are, for me, uh, not winning cultures. Yeah, and that, that, that's certainly something the Eagles could take note of right now because they need to change their culture. Because uh, whatever they've been doing the last few years has not been working, and that's clear to everybody. Uh, so uh, good, good stuff today, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, good one tomorrow. We've Gabe, I think, kind of alluding to Bryce Harper being a little fake with the hustle. Ah, we have Bryce side by side comparison with another uh, former. Well, I guess he's now a former player, but a player Gabe used to play with. Does he have any takes on Bryce and his, uh, you know, nonsense with the fanatic that kind of played out act that that's been old for, for over a year now? No. Okay. Um, because yeah, I mean, you know, just back off with the fanatic okay. stuff, Bryce, uh, you know, his fanatic cleats or whatever. 
Uh, does he? He doesn't wear those during the game, right? Has he worn? Has he worn those during the game? He wore them literally his first game as a Philly. I didn't think no, but he had the, like the really done up ones this year, though. I think he only wore them in warm ups, though. No, he, where he had like, like really done up like green ones with like I with thought like, had, like with like feathers and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I thought he wore the oh the, the home opener in nineteen. Yeah, may, maybe he did. I thought he just had a picture of the fanatic on there, but you know, please calm, calm down with the fanatic stuff. Bryce getting a little old. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in in the last segment of the show, uh, we'll kind of reset some of the stuff we've been talking about. We'll preview the Phillies doubleheader for Tuesday and. We'll get to some of this stuff include, uh, involving Doug Peterson, which I thought was one of the more interesting things from this article. The meetings that would take place on Tuesdays that uh, didn't seem like they were very pleasant for Doug, and I think we're a little disrespectful. So we'll get to that uh, when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham with you for another segment here. Uh, We'll talk to Al coming up next for the Overlap Show. Uh, Coming up uh, Tuesday, we do have a doubleheader on the station now as the Phillies get rained out on Tuesday night. Or on Monday night, rather. So, a doubleheader Tuesday. uh, Pitching matchups for Game 1. You have Chase Anderson and Taiwan Walker uh, in Game 1 starting at 410. And then uh, in Game 2 will be Aaron Nola going up against Marcus Stroman. So, if you're the Phils, I mean, I think you'd be happy with with a split there. You probably expect, hopefully, to win the second game. Um, But if you can get both, that would be tremendous. Uh, Obviously, playing only seven innings. Um, and it probably works in the Phil's favor considering they don't have Archie Bradley, uh, it, it, for the foreseeable future as he's out with that oblique injury. So hopefully the Phil's can get at least one of those two games on, uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, Monday night Sixers beat up on the, on the Mavericks, uh, uh, in Dallas, a big win and gets them started as they begin this seven game stretch against some of the best teams in the NBA. You beat Dallas on the road. Now um, come for a homestand starting Wednesday night. Obviously a very interesting matchup, a game that everybody will be watching closely as the Sixers take on the Nets, uh, then the Clippers, the Warriors, uh, Suns, you know, some of the better teams in the league before a couple road games against Milwaukee. So hopefully the Sixers uh, can keep it going after their victory over Dallas on Monday night. Flyers did make a move at the trade deadline, traded Michael Roffel, uh, so he is no longer a Flyer, also extended Scott Lawton, um, so they didn't do a, a full sell. Thankfully, they didn't buy, and I think that's pretty much them uh, acknowledging that this season is over and that uh, they're likely not going to the postseason. Um, so uh, that's kind of what happened on Monday, and then the story we've been talking about most of the night uh, the Big Eagle story uh, from The Athletic that was released. Uh, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, Shield Kapati all worked on it. And some very interesting stuff involving the inner workings of the Eagles organization. And uh, what we all knew before this was that this was an organization that is in some turmoil. And that there is not a lot of cohesion behind the scenes. Um, but the question is, you know, why is that? And we have looked at it a lot of different ways. And certainly there are a lot of things in here that are not flattering for Jeffrey Lurie, nor Howie Roseman. Um, and of all the things, if you didn't see it, um, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of pieces of this information, of this story that, that I found fascinating. Um, including the divide between the analytics staff and the football operations staff uh, behind the scenes. Um, Jeffrey Lurie's involvement in all of this, which I think is the main story here, is that Jeffrey Lurie has become entirely too involved in the football operations department. And I don't know how that's an issue that you solve, you know, Howie Roseman is the source of much frustration in this city. Uh, a lot of people want him out and I get that. And I get that, you know, Howie is 
made mistakes, and um, he is certainly to be blamed for a lot of it. But whether Howie Roseman's here or not, I don't think it really matters. Like, nothing is going to get solved unless Jeffrey Lurie comes to understand his role in all of this. And when you look at his involvement in the draft, his involvement in the coaching department, where one of the other pieces of this story that I found um, very interesting was these Tuesday meetings with Doug Peterson. And one thing we, we kind of already knew, but what was confirmed in this story was that Jeffrey Lurie was indeed the one who made Jeffrey uh, made Doug Peterson fire Carson Walsh and Mike Rowe following the 2019 season, where you remember that whole thing. Doug Peterson comes out, says they're going to be back, and a couple days later, they are fired. And we all kind of knew that that was because um, Jeffrey Lurie had given Doug Peterson that order. And Doug Peter or and Jeffrey Lurie being obsessed with having a top five offense and obsessed with winning by passing the ball, where even after a win like the win in Green Bay in 2018 and the win or in 2019 and the win in Buffalo in 2019, both really difficult wins on the road against good teams in adverse conditions. uh, Doug Peterson wasn't praised for these victories, but was instead criticized for why he ran the ball so much, why he didn't elect to do more through the air. Um, And apparently this was a common occurrence where he would be scrutinized um, in many ways for a lot of the decisions that he made. And it was clear, uh, a clear takeaway for me was that this organization never trusted Doug Peterson. That even in 2017, um, they never really felt Doug was a long-term solution where apparently uh, Jeffrey Glory had a meeting, a three-hour meeting with Jim Schwartz prior to the season that the speculation was that, you know, he's talking to Schwartz about maybe taking over if the Eagles started slow. And obviously they didn't. We remember what happened. They start one and one and they, they win that Giants game at home on the long field goal and everything kind of, of takes off from there. But, they never trusted Doug Peterson. And, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's certainly not fair to Doug, who I think is a good coach. Um, but we'll talk a lot about this uh, tomorrow. But I-, I will say this. While I like Doug, and I think Doug's a good coach, and I don't think he was treated well here, I do think, like, if they didn't trust Doug, it probably was the right move to move on. Like, if you were going to continue to micromanage and continue to not allow him to have the type of say over his staff, the type of say over the the game day roster that he would have wanted. Uh, you're going to analyze every single decision that he makes. That's probably not a good environment for the organization to have a head coach they view that way, or for Doug to be in an organization that doesn't, uh, truly trust him. And uh, while I like Doug Peterson, I hope he lands on his feet. And, you know, I think the Eagles are probably wrong 
in that regard for, for not trusting him more. If you don't trust your head coach, uh, it probably is time to move on uh, from him. And it was one of the one of the aspects of this story that I found pretty interesting. Um, but I, I did want to play one more piece of sound before we get out of here. Is Shil Kapati, who worked on the story, joined John Marks and Ike Reese on Monday and talked about uh, how the Eagles organization kind of stacks up uh, against a lot of the others in the league. Would you say they're a well-run organization at this point? I think they're probably middle of the pack. You know, you got to look at context for all of these. Like, you know, you can certainly point to organizations around the league that are complete dumpster fires and never uh, make the playoffs and those things. And so the Eagles, have, and certainly under Jeffrey Lurie, I mean, if you look at the winning percentage and all those things, playoff appearances, like they're in the top 10, uh, top seven or eight, probably league-wide. Now, having said that, uh, I think the article illustrates that they have significant issues. They've got hurdles that they need to overcome. So, um, you know, I think they're probably in the middle somewhere. We'll see what happens here with Nick Sirianni. We'll see if they recognize some of their issues uh, or not or continue to operate the way they've been operating. But that's kind of how I I would term it. And I think that's pretty fair at this point. You know, uh, they were obviously one of the best-run organizations from 2000 to 2010, not – so over the last few years, and certainly not so during uh, the Chip Kelly era, but you know the end of that is really what is important, and it's what we'll talk about a lot on the show tomorrow is whether they recognize their issues because as bad as it seems right now, none of this is unrecoverable. Like with where the Eagles are, with what they've been able to do this off season, with the way Howie has been able to add the draft picks that he's added through the Carson Wentz trade, through the trade down in the first round, with the cap space they've opened up long-term, they do have resources, and there is a way out of this. But it's all going to come down to whether Jeffrey Lurie can recognize you know, his mistakes and, and whether he will will determine where this organization uh, goes goes from here. Did you have something you wanted to get in on there, Mike? Uh, in that clip, you, you you sure? Okay. Um, so uh, that'll do it for the show uh, tonight. Uh, you put your headphones on sometimes, and I think uh, I, th- I thought you wanted to get in. I'm conscious of the time. Okay. So I'm so I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, thank you to Mike Angelina for producing the show. Uh, we'll talk to him more tomorrow. Um, but next up, we'll talk to Al for the overlap show.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.